Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. All right, welcome to this podcast, season four, episode 30. 30. Uh, my name is Tim Mitchell, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have Jonathan Kuline on the line in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. A place to live and a place to grow. A place we call Ontario. Ontario. You got Alrighty. it. All right, bit of fact check. So I was talking last week about Lawrence of Arabia, and uh, I actually went back to Amazon Prime has Lawrence of Arabia on it now, and, and I remember that scene. It's one of the pinnacle scenes in, in Lawrence of Arabia when Omar Sharif is the guy who's, whose name I couldn't remember, but uh, famous, you know, actor of that, that part of the world. Uh, the scene, you know, we talked about, um, I forgot the name now, the the character from Boba Fett who appears in the mist. Oh, Cad Bane, you know? yeah. Yeah, Cad yeah. Bane. Because um, there's a scene where um, Peter O'Toole and uh, and a, another guy are waiting, or an Arab guy, his tour guide guy, are waiting at a well. And, uh, you know, they're sitting around and, and the Arab guy goes and gets some water out of the well and that kind of stuff. And, and they see this this little, you know, off on the horizon, this sort of elusive, misty sort of, you know, you know, you get that heat rays thing going and you get that sort of weird looking stuff. And it's like a two minute, two and a half minute scene. I, I, I made note of when it started and ended. And it's Omar Sharif on a camel coming towards the camera, right? I wonder how many takes it did of that too, right? And as he's coming, like before he even gets to within range, he, he pulls, uh, like the, the other Arab pulls out a gun and points it at him. And, and, you know, next thing you hear is a rifle shot. And, Omershi's character has shot the the guy at the well, and he says, "And Peter O'Toole's like, why'd you kill him? Because that's my well, <laughs> you know." But it, but it's that same sort of thing, like that was in in Book of Boba Fett last week with the sort of misty, you know, character who just shows up and dispatches uh, his authority and then leaves, right? So hmm. anyway, he plays a huge role in, in the movie too. But if you've ever seen the Lord of Maria? But I think what it's like. Three hours, almost four hours long. Four hours, it? yeah. It's it's a crazy long movie. The other scene that it really is um, is really, I mean, it, it steals a lot. It's just a shot that's been used on a lot of westerns and things like that. But it really reminds me of um, is it High Plains Drifter, the uh, Clint yeah, Eastwood movie, exactly. 
very much like you know stranger walks into town like I, I don't think is that i think that's the right movie where he doesn't even have a name they just call him the stranger yeah the there's, movie. There's, there's four mm-hmm. movies where the character doesn't have a name he's called the, the man with no name yeah yeah so yeah but there's there very much that scene where it's just like this man sort of just appears out of nowhere walks through town and then they do the same shot of him just leaving at the end of the movie yeah that's one of my favorite movies like and it's got that whole sort of he dupes the town into defending themselves and yep yeah, that's a great movie. And and it's sort of like he's uh I think and the at the end of it when when he sort of takes over like you know like he he dispatches his justice, you know, and he you never see him on the screen, right? Sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he and Cadbane talks the way that Clint Eastwood would talk, right? Like he grit his teeth. Yeah. And just just sort of talk through his teeth kind of thing. So really kind of cool character, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a link here from uh, Melissa via Senor doing celebrity impressions and uh like a number of them and apparently she, I, I didn't really I, i'd seen her before but i didn't even realize it's the same person but she was she was actually discovered on america's got talent right at the age of 17 or something when she came on and did like miley cyrus and and uh, a few other characters like singing and talking um doing her her impressions of people right and um yeah, she's amazing. She was on, uh, I think she was, and she does like Kristen Wiig and everything. And this is a scene from uh, uh, Comedians Getting Coffee, uh, Driving Around Car. It's called Comedians Getting Coffee? I forget what it's called. The, uh, oh no, another fact check. <laughs> the Jerry Seinfeld thing, right? And uh, Jerry's like totally impressed with her, her ability. So I'm calling her the new Christopher Plummer because I think when you need, you know, to fill a gap and you need a, a, a female voice of any kind, <laughs> you just call Melissa Villasenor, right? Yeah, she's yeah. good. Octavia Spencer plays uh, uh, the parole officer uh, to Riz Ahmed in, in Encounter. That's the person I couldn't remember. She's a pinnacle character. She's like the second bill, uh, person billed on the on that movie. But she plays a really good role in that uh, in that movie. So in Encounter, which I still recommend you watch, you know, even in spite of the bad reviews. And last week, Jonathan said that Disney should buy Sony. And yep. he said, Sony's not worth as much as they were anymore. So I just, I did some checking and it turns out in the annual revenue of Sony in 2021 was $84 billion up 11, 11% from 2020, where Disney's revenue in the same period was $67 billion. So it's kind of toe to toe, you know, in fact, Sony's got more revenue than, than that. And so just for, are we talking, just, market, wait, wait, we're wait, not talking wait, market cap, we're talking let revenue. Me, let me, hang on. And we can look that up too if you like. But but the other thing is just just for reference sake here, um, Apple's re- um, annual revenue last year was three hundred sixty five billion, you know, and Paramount was only seven hundred thirty million. Like so, like so, we're not they're not even in the bees. But yeah, this this is revenue, Jonathan. It's it's whether it's market cap or whatever. I'm not going to go into stocks, and that's where we have Mark on the show to talk about that kind of stuff. But but I mean, just just I mean. It scales, right? Like if you if you really want to go and look at it up, you can look it up yourself. If you don't believe me, but uh, I think Sony's worth at least as much as Disney. They're not just producing TV shows and movies, right? So I think it, it would be interesting to. So Sony's a publicly traded company as well. They don't have to mm-hmm. buy it the whole thing. They have to buy fifty one percent. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they have to. You also have to agree, get the owners of the main owners of Sony, the largest stockholders of Sony, to sell. Right. That's true. That's true. I don't know who how the division of that is, but again, the uh, you know that's certainly been done. The hostile takeover thing has certainly been done. I honestly yeah. feel like the the reason that it hasn't been done is probably because they kind of scraped by in acquiring Fox Studios and oh, all the Fox yeah. assets Sony? to. Uh, 
uh, no, Disney. Because okay. when Disney bought all the Fox assets, the Simpsons and the Aliens and Predator and all that stuff, when they bought Fox for $67 billion, they kind of got away with avoiding an antitrust case because they basically amalgamated two major players and eliminated a large competition. If they do that again, I imagine that U.S. Congress might get involved because that's you're essentially creating a monopoly and that's what antitrust laws are in place to, to prevent, right? So, but yes, I mean, I, I was saying it obviously, you know, in a somewhat facetious way. I just, frankly, I'm just fed up with Sony trying to cobble together these who gives an F products, you know. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's just the thing. Like, like Disney's sort of, Disney's reason to be is to entertain people. I mean, that's, you know, like in the same way that Apple is like to, to make your life better. They're not really selling. I mean, they do, I mean, literally they do produce hardware and stuff like that, but that is not how they approach it, right? And and Disney's in the same way. They're there to entertain you and make sure you have a big smile on your face at the end of it, right? Whereas Sony is like, they're, they're so many different things. You know, they're making hardware, they're making, mm-hmm. you know, they're making movies, they're, you know, they're making games. They own like, how many PlayStation titles do they own kind of thing, right? So they're kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife of, of media technology, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And, and by the same token, Apple's doing the same thing because Apple's now getting into the, the entertainment market, right? So well, Google, right? And, sorry? And Google's kind of doing the same thing, right? They're creating the technology because they have yeah. their phone lines and then they're also, you know, producing content. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and they're the world's largest search engine, right? You know, like... Yeah, and YouTube's not a small thing. No, yeah, with the whole purchase of YouTube, that's a, that was a huge thing, too, for sure. Yeah. I was a little surprised that Sony was as big as they are because they had been hurting for such a long time, and PlayStation and selling cameras for iPhone production is pretty much the only thing they had going for them. I, I guess Sony Pictures has been doing a lot better with the uh, Spider-Man series, Venom and stuff, but... Um, but if you do look at the revenue chart over over the years, like if you go like this, the, I got these numbers from stock purchasing sites. But if you if you look at the sort of year over the year, like the line, the bar chart or the line chart or whatever it is, it definitely did swoop up in in uh, around 2020, 2021, right? And um, that I suspect that's because of the whole working from home thing and whatever, like you know. Like, well, because PlayStations became incredibly de- in demand, right? Like, yeah, that, that revenue well, stream did really well for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and I mean, I think anything that anything that sort of embraced, uh, you know, people are stuck at home. What are they going to do? You know, can't go mm. to the theaters, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's head over head over to the headlines, and we'll start off with Jaime with yeah. my favorite space show. The the often for many times at least, delayed Orville. We're coming up on three years? Yeah, this is going to be the third year of uh, delay between their seasons. So granted, COVID had a lot to do with that. Uh, we had originally thought it was going to come out, or not originally, recently thought it was going to come out for the third season in uh, March. Looks like now, based on this new teaser, it's officially June 2nd, 2022 on Hulu as the Orville. New Horizons. I don't recall the reasons why they gave it that title. So it's either yeah, season three or season one. Jump. Yeah, I think it's because of the time jump. I think they're accounting for like 
they're almost treating it like it's a, a re relaunch like a just generation. because well not <laughs> not that far of a, a jump but i mean i think they have to account for the fact that like everybody's four years older <laughs> well and, and one of the characters is no longer around right um who am i thinking of yeah yes what's the name of the robot character isaac the robot do you do you mean norm who played um yafit Yafit, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Yafit's the gelatinous one. He he died, obviously. Norm MacDonald mm. died. Oh, Norm MacDonald, yeah, yeah, yeah. But whether or not he's in the season, I, I think he might be, because if they've already done everything, he, they could have his voice already. And who voices um, the robot character? I can't remember his name. Isaac. I don't think it was anybody famous. I think it was, I mean, mm. beyond his fame as, as Isaac. Okay. Just a voice actor. Okay. So what do we think about this New Horizons thing? This article is saying that uh, this has the final role of Norm Macdonald. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think you obviously, you and I, Tim, have been a little, little more off on on uh, the last bit of Orville than than Jaime was. Uh, I mean, I I'm definitely gonna tune in and and give it a shot. I am a little concerned because there's been this. Uh, we've talked about this on previous episodes. This, unfortunate trend the last little while of things that are debuting on hulu being delayed by at times months for canadian distribution um i kind of i'm 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 ashamed to admit that i i uh, climbed into the message board because uh disney plus was touting its great uh impending launch of how i met your father on disney plus canada uh coming in march and i saw a bunch of people commenting me like oh this is so great this is so great and me being the grinch i jumped in there and was just like hey disney plus why are why you know why exactly is it we're we're getting this like two months after its debut in the united states and people on there were you know immediately down my throat well it's just a sitcom calm down like you can wait it's fine i'm like wow that's very canadian so um yeah <laughs> but yeah i i think sorry I think what they were lost, uh, what they lost in the conversation was the fact that it's not necessarily about this one show. It's about all the shows. You know, Hit Monkey did the same thing. That did the same thing. Modoc did the same thing. They're probably going to do the same thing for the Orville. So, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to review it because we can't because it won't be available for two of us. Like, unless Jaime wants to do the one man recap. It was great. You guys should watch it. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, wasn't I like that with or- with Ozark last week. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 a tricky one, right? Like you know, it's a slippery slope. You don't care, and you don't care, and you don't care until it's something you care about, and then you're like, hey, what the f? Like it's it's just they they keep doing this, and you know, if you were really looking forward to Hit Monkey and you had to wait an extra two months, you'd be like, hey, that sucks. If you were really waiting for How I Met Your Father, same thing, or Modoc. Or maybe the Orville, like you're, it's, it's just a bad trend when, yeah, like, you know, the three of us are friends. We can't have a conversation about this show because one of us can't watch it or two of us can't watch it for months at a time. That's a negative experience, you know, like what a naive notion to think that like, oh, sorry, there's a border there. So Jaime and Tim and Jonathan would never talk about this show. Like what? Well, I mean, and it's it's funny, like like you said, they, they're like, oh, come on, it's just a TV show. But if it was Star Wars or something like that, some sort of Star Wars title, 
you know, notwithstanding Jonathan, your head would explode, but, but you know, <laughs> the other people, the other people would, would like all of a sudden notice, right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like, you know, I, uh, I don't think that people would want to read my social feed if that were to come to pass for the vulgarity would obliterate the, uh, the algorithms, if they decided they were going to start delaying the release of uh, some of that stuff. But you never know. Like I say, the Hulu is still producing, you know, uh, good programming. It's just that in the past, Hulu programming might come here to Canada on a cable channel or some other method that it might come in in a more timely fashion. But if it's not coming in that way and they're using it as Disney Plus fodder, yeah, we're, we're waiting. And... Eventually, it will catch up with some of these people who go, wait a minute, what? But I wanted to look for, I was looking forward to that show. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I didn't realize that the Oscars had been announced already, eh? The Oscar nominations were announced this week. They were indeed. It was, um, it was not a great day for uh, science fiction and fantasy and, uh, and all the things that we love to, to chat about on this show, with the minor exception. So... Yes, the Oscar nominations came out. Dune, which was uh, our uh, Spockies Award winner for Best Picture, was nominated for 10 Oscars, including Best Picture. However, the big news that came out of that was uh, it was not nominated for Best Director for Canada's Denis Villeneuve. So that's a bit of a slap in the face. I mean, I find it very, very frustrating the way they've got it structured now because they can have as many as 10 nominees for Best Picture but only five for the other categories. So five movies that are so-called best pictures could win a best picture, but not have the best director associated with it, which is kind of a strange twist. That being said, I think you can take the hint that if you didn't get nominated for best director, chances are you aren't going to win best picture. And it's really just a, we put it in here for the sake of putting it in here so that people would say, oh, it's an Oscar nominated movie. All that to say, you know, 10 nominations is nothing to sniff at. It's probably going to win, you know, some of the technical stuff. You know, the only the only category that's really a sci fi category anymore is the visual effects awards. So, you know, sometimes costume making, but even that they often give it to like genre stuff. You know, it's a film set in the 1920s, like whatever. So (laughs) it's yeah, it's it's not good and and beyond that uh nobody from the cast was was nominated for for any of the awards you know we talked about rebecca ferguson was really good we talked about some of the performances we really liked nobody there was nominated so that's that's a disappointment um we did get a little bit of an interesting twist on the whole Spider-Verse thing in that um, uh, andrew garfield was nominated kirsten dunst was nominated and um Oh, uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, J.K. Simmons was also nominated. So so three of the uh, primary actors from the Spider-Man films were uh, were all nominated, which is kind of funny, obviously, for three different projects. But, uh, yeah, it's funny how that sort of came together. But, um, yeah, I mean, not uh, – I don't know. I mean, the Oscars – I find that often I, I don't really I'm obviously I'm not alone if you look at the ratings and you look at the interest level in in this which is theoretically the, the highest honors that you can get in in filmmaking I, I I don't I don't put a lot of stock in it anymore I don't really care a heck of a lot yeah I've been watching the Oscars for years and I probably will watch them again this year but 
the like you know when I look at when I look at the the field here, like you've got you know you've got Kenneth Branagh and you've got Steven Spielberg nominated for Belfast and West Side Story. I could see why you know I, I'm I'm predicting them or the the did the lady who directed uh, the dog movie Power of the Dog being champion did she get did she get nominated for Rest Director? I believe so. I, you know, it's because that Power of the Dog movie is the kind of movie that wins Oscars, yep. like, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, like, it's, you know, it's Oscar baby. Yeah. Yeah, especially since it's, like, American. It's a Western, you know. It's got a bit of a twisty sort of... I can't remember what, if Brokeback Mountain... Oh, did I give it away? <laughs> um, I don't know if Brokeback Mountain, Mountain got... And I know it was nominated for things, but I don't know if it actually won anything. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's uh, Campion, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, yeah. Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Yeah, I got to see Licor- Licorice Pizza. Carol was telling me something about that the other day. I can't remember what she sp- said specifically, but it sounds like something I, I should watch. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... And, but but like I've already said said this about Dune already. I found I found it was very anticlimactic because there's more to the story than what we saw, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. On IMAX, it was amazing, you know, visual, visually stunning, and that kind of stuff. Like you know, it's the kind of movie that you want to go back and and absorb, like like you do a, a large painting. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not something you you take in in one sitting, right? Um, and again, I mean, who knows? I mean, like the, like the people who are, who are reviewing these uh, movies, I mean, they're getting, they're getting a DVD or a Blu-ray of the disc. They're not actually going to an IMAX theater and taking it all in. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, the people who are reviewing them. So unless they have, you know, amazing home stereo, home, home theaters, you know, I wonder who Kevin Smith voted for. <laughs> he does. Uh, he does get a vote. He does get a vote. Oh no, I did put him in. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I just want to talk about him later, but, um, Argo is the only movie I can think of in recent memory that won best picture without having, yeah. Oh wait, was, and it was about a Canadian Affleck too. Didn't, didn't win best director, but was he nominated? Maybe that's different. Cause you're right. You said here that this director was not nominated yeah. for best director. And I do think that Ben Affleck was nominated, but did not win. Yeah, that's but probably not Bill a good Bill was nominated for Arrival. He wasn't nominated for um, the Blade Runner movie, though, right? Nope. Yeah. And the Blade Runner, Blade Runner the, the 2049 or whatever it was called, I mean, it was visually stunning, too, and another movie that you, you want to take in on, on uh, the large screen, cause just because of the, you know, the, the scale of the, the imagery, right? So Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, like I say, it, from, a, from a genre perspective, from a sci-fi fantasy perspective, this is going to be pretty uninspiring Awards what, show? what science fiction movie has ever won? Avatar, maybe? Uh, Avatar didn't win Best Picture, did it? I don't, I don't think so. No, has a sci-fi movie ever won Best Picture? I guess it depends on what you qualify as a sci-fi movie, but I don't, I don't, can't recall one off the top of my head. Yeah, neither do I. Well, you know, you know, Crave. I was looking at Crave this afternoon, just trying to figure out if Discovery is going to be on Doctor Who and all the Star Trek stuff are under drama on Crave. W- sorry, which what is? <laughs> all of the star treks like you know the original series you know tng those are, those are dramas discovery they're all under drama on crave as well as doctor who uh sure <laughs> wikipedia here so, says that no science fiction film quote no science fiction film has won the award though 12 films have been nominated including a clockwork orange star wars et the extraterrestrial avatar District 9, Inception, Gravity, Her, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, Arrival, and Dune. 
And Joker was nominated, although you can argue that's a drama and not a science mm. fiction comic movie, even though it is. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Black Panther was nominated. Um Oh yeah, Joker didn't win. That's right. That Joker was a nominee, but it didn't. Yeah, I mean, there's been nominations that have sort of, you know, again, sort of looped in that sort of more inclusive thing. And but that's honestly, that's that's my problem with the expansion of the field from five to as many as ten is it's tokenism. Like it's it's just it's it's like you know it it. At its root, it's essentially like we'll throw in a few populist things so that people give a, a hoot about this awards show when really there, there's no chance. Well, okay, yeah, here's a, Shape true. of Water. Shape of Water one. Is that a science fiction movie or is that a drama? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a science fiction movie. Yeah, I would call that. I mean, yeah, that, it had our favorite actor in it. Um, yep. What's his name? You know, that what's one's his name? Movie? Doug Jones. Doug Jones, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah, a guy floating around in a tank, you know, like he, like, definitely, that's, that's science fiction. Yeah, <laughs> they follow, did they put that one into, like, fantasy or something? Or no, it's, dr- clearly it's drama, come on. I mean, definitely well, it, drama. it is a drama. drama, it's just, it's a, it's a matter of interpretation, right? Like, yeah. I don't know, I always think of drama movies as, as you know, serious, your parents watch this kind of story, right, you know? <laughs> but again, that's the only way that, uh, I mean, look at Joker being nominated, look at, you know, uh, some of mm-hmm. these, the ones that have been nominated, you know. Arguably the most populist thing that's been nominated over the last number of years was Black Panther. Beyond that, you know, none of the Marvel, you know, there was there was a small contingent of people being like, well, maybe this Spider-Man movie will be the thing that finally gets a little bit of of traction because it's it's a pretty emotional journey. Again, I don't want to spoil anything for Jaime, but it's a very emotional journey. And you can make a case that, you know, there's some good performances in there that might might have been worthy of of recognition. But no, not not. We got nominated for one thing, visual effects. Yeah, but there's also there's also the other side of it. I mean, like like you know, as you know, I studied fine arts in university, and and there's a there's a sort of air about fine artists that's you know like, um, you know, you're you're a serious sculptor, you're a serious painter, you know, God forbid you make a graphic novel, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that's kind of where that's kind of where the line gets drawn, um. You know, Kevin Smith was being interviewed today. He was talking about, um, oh, what's the guy who made Clerk? What's his name again? Oh, Malcolm. Malcolm Ingram. Malcolm Ingram, yeah. He was talking about how Mal- like he wanted to make changes to the, f- to the film, and, and Malcolm Ingram is like, no, that's my film. Like, Kevin Smith is saying, that's my life. And he goes, yeah, but that's my film. And he's like, oh, like, totally understood. I got to back off because that's the art talk, or the artist talking, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, like, there's kind of a line between between like like oscars is about film it's not you know or film it's not like it's what tv shows aren't nominated for oscars but again right? by that exact rationale we're right back to where i started from which is i've been why do i care like really like I, 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 and i like cinema but so by the same token though when does when i mean i think the three of us would agree that many of the films that we've seen in like in, in i'm doing the air quote film category happen to also be talked about on this show because they happen to be sci-fi right mm. you know like i would argue that that you know blade runner and and arrival and you know um and dune are worthy of film be nominated as films and be taken as seriously as film you know i'm sure mm-hmm. that the directors who sit down and you know storyboard and you work with the directors of photography and costuming and are are approaching this as filmmakers you know not just you know some guy with a sells his comic book collection and you know makes a black and white right yeah 
So it's it's unfortunate that that there's a that's what I mean. But that's what I'm talking about the air. You know, the, the sort of putting on air is sort of an attitude of of the, the uh, what do you call it? the academy, right? The academy is is they sort of see themselves as as they're an ivory tower, right? Yep. Um, and and even though you know people who become members of the academy and get votes and stuff like that, they're still they're still approaching it from that. You know, this is serious filmmaking, Jonathan, not comic books, right? Which you know that and that's fine. But then don't expect the mass populace to care. True. Yeah. yeah. Like at the end of the day, if it is, a, if it is a, a way of recognizing auteurs and people who are committed to the integrity of fine cinema and everything else, that's fine. But then don't advertise it as a populist event. It's not, it's an elitist event. Well, I'm, yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying like, but I think to me, the, the, I'm not saying that what, when you and I go as cinephiles to a movie, whether we watch, you know, Power of a Dog or, or you know, in the Spider-Verse, right? Like, we're still approaching it from the same point of view. We're there to be entertained, and we're there to, to, to deal with similar characters, but at the end of the same, same day, at the same time, we're looking, we're evaluating the beauty of the film and the filmmaker's craft, right? You know, and, and to your point, like, what, where do we measure this, or how do, how do we reward this? We reward it by buying tickets, you know, and... You know, Marvel makes money because they're Marvel, not because Thor Dark... What is it called? Dark World? What's your favorite movie there, Jaime? <laughs> Thor The Dark World. Um, the Dark World, yeah. Not because The Dark World is great cinema, right? You know, it's... But it's approached in the same way, and it's financed and promoted in the same way, right? So... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, like you know, like, like Power of a Dog is like the great American novel. It's kind of... It doesn't, it doesn't sit in that same sort of character, same sort of area. And I'm sure people haven't even seen that movie, you know, except for the fact that it's what it's on Netflix or something or. Yeah. I think it's Netflix. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, I mean, I wouldn't even know about it if it wasn't, if it hadn't been on Netflix, you know, because who's going out these days and who's like watching commercials and stuff. We're all zapped through them on our PVRs. Right. You know, yeah. or we watch on streaming services that don't have commercial. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Anyway, all right, let's move on to some lighter fare. Speaking of comic books and cartoons and stuff, I mean. I thought the pun there was the uh, the lighter fare when you have Lightyear. Oh, yes, lighter. The lighter uh, fare, official yes. trailer. Starring with your uh, your voice actors, amongst many, uh, Chris Evans, so Captain America as Buzz, and uh, a bunch of other people, including director Taika Waititi as a voice actor. So we had seen the teaser before. Uh, this is the, the trailer that kind of gives you a little bit more of the flavor what the movie's about. And it does arrive on June 17th, 2022. Mm-hmm. Cool. Looks good. Yeah. Seems. But it's not it's not like Toy Story cartoony, like, you know, plastic figures kind of. It looks like a legit, you know, 3D rendered interesting movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's got some kid stuff and like, I, I guarantee there will be toys of the um, the pet cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From the, from the trailer, it was like a, a talking pet. I think it's a robot android cat. cat. Robot cat, right? Yeah, robot cat. Yeah, yeah. There'll definitely be toys of that available. But you're right. The I, I think one of the things that's interesting about um, about these uh, 3D films is that with some of the the stylized aspects of them, the advances are really going to be in the the texture work. Yeah. Right. Like if you compare. Um, you know, original Toy Story to was a Toy Story Four, oh, the yeah. most recent one. Like the basic character designs are pretty much the same. They didn't really change those, but the texture work is amazing. Like the, the other stuff looks like, oh, okay, that's that's cute and nice, even though it was groundbreaking for the time. And now it's like, oh my god, like you can see specular lighting in 
you know, Buzz's yeah, eye flare, because he's a plastic and, doll. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the reflection of Woody in his eye, you know? Yeah, for sure. So that, that's the same thing here where the, the, the character designs are definitely cartoony, but the textures themselves are amazing. It does look, um, you know, realistic in a highly stylized yeah, kind of way. It's interesting, you know, I was thinking about that today when I was watching, like watching, I'm, I'm, as you know, I've been catching up on uh, Clone Wars and, um, and also I'm watching The Expanse as well, which is another another show that has a lot of, you know, really interesting things. And I, and I look at the 3D, in, you know, environments, like they have these uh, uh, Coruscant kind of, you know, landscapes and that kind of stuff. And, and even like uh, back to Blade Runner again, you know, when I look at the 3D rendered um, images, like, like, the, the the artists who work on that stuff must spend like they, a single shot, a single frame in that could be like is, is equivalent to like a, a grandmaster painting back in the day, you know. And I look at the amount of effort that goes, and it's amazing how far CG graphics, computer rendering, and all the texture working and and your atmospheric effects and like you know all that sort of stuff that I would have studied in university to sort of capture what something looks like. It's amazing how far that goes. And like I said, every single frame of a of a what we see in a like a star wars cartoon if you want to come doing air quotes here with uh, with the clone wars for example like like when you see some of these landscapes and and you know the the ships flying by and all that kind of stuff it's amazing the amount of time and effort that goes into these things but they look so amazing you know it's really cool and yeah. and same thing with this this light year thing it's not you know andy's bedroom anymore right it's it's uh like he's actually on a planet somewhere or on a world somewhere right looks looks pretty cool so the ultimate question is, will either of you make an effort to see this in the theater or you wait for it on Disney Plus? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's something else. So Death of the Nile is playing an IMAX. I just I just saw a commercial for that during um, Discovery. And I'm like, yeah, I want to see that movie. I, I like the first movie that they the first Poirot movie they redid. But and and I asked myself the exact same question. Would I, considering where we are in in the world with pandemics and stuff, would I go see that in IMAX? Mm. You know, I still haven't seen the James Bond movie yet, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder if I know somebody who has the disc that they could lend me. You might. You might just know somebody who could loan you the physical mm. copy of that. I know because every every now and then I'm like, I'm going six ninety nine. Is it worth it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's 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 like like that that same question crossed my mind, and and so I I kind of wonder like I don't know if I, you know I'm not I don't know if did I I can't remember if I, yeah no I must have seen Toy Story in in the theater I think we you and I went to it right uh, I saw Toy Story on a date when I was in high school well that does yeah yeah uh, no I meant the the fourth one I can't oh, remember, the, I think. the fourth one me I can't remember if I saw that one. Yeah, the one with the well, the one with the they're in the daycare center and and they're melting the toys in the incinerator. Well, that's thing. three. That's that's part three. Part four is the one where they uh, they find re- reunite with Bo Peep and they have the adventure where they she's in the antique shop and the doll wants uh, Woody's oh, voice yeah, the, box the, the and stuff. Spork, the spork thing. Yes, Sporky. Yeah, no, that yeah. one I saw. That one I that one I saw on Disney Plus. Yeah, the spork was not a character I was into at all. So. Oh, he killed me. The, the Sporky. <laughs> Uh, the Sporky shorts that they have on Disney Plus are hilarious. Yeah. Tony Hale's so good. Oh, I'll have to go back and watch that then. Oh, I'm my God. That. So funny. Yeah. I'm yeah. trash. Keeps throwing himself in the trash can. Oh, so good. <laughs> so funny. Tony, I, love, I love Tony Hale. I mean, he just kills me, but yeah. People use that uh, that one uh, internet meme shot of him with, with Woody. He's like, you're trash yeah. just like me. Yeah. As a... 
self-deprecating yeah. insult right to dual 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 wield yep. kind of thing looks like good news for me more more good news everyone for especially people like uh Woo! like jonathan who are just in love with the way that hulu works uh, in, in the northern climbs um, oh, wait a minute hang on maybe this isn't good news for everyone bad news i Canada. have no idea but you know on on the, the on the weight of it good news 51 percent positive news kind of way um, so futurama has apparently been revived uh by by hulu with uh many original cast members returning right now as of uh, this recording uh, john dimaggio who voiced bender has still not been attached to Ooh. the show although i do not think it has ever been confirmed that he is not attached meaning that he is like you know giving them the finger yeah, he just hasn't agreed to terms they just yeah. haven't worked through it yeah yeah but uh billy west katie seagal a whole bunch of other people that you'll recognize are uh, are coming back for what did they say here 20 new episodes don't know if that's a singular season of 20 or two episodes of 10, given the, the modern era of streaming. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. But speaking of things you can't watch, Jonathan, um, or, or haven't been able to watch. Were we? Um, yeah, <laughs> we are now. I, uh, I was talking to uh, Nicole, and she was telling me that she had seen the two um, South Park films, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, they do they do fit into the into the they do fit into the the show. But apparently, this new season is is a retaking, a retelling, right? Um, like a sort of a that's how she explained it to me. It was I not I haven't watched South Park in years, but hmm. she said that the the new the new series is kind of is from a new footing, right? But the movie the the two movies that we haven't been able to see yet do fit into the previous ones. Uh, yeah, well. I'll have to uh, make an effort. I was actually looking today. I was thinking, uh, I know we talked about Paramount Plus being available here in Canada now. And I looked at it and was like, oh, so they're offering a seven-day free trial. And then it's $6 a month for uh, for, for Paramount Plus here. And I was like, should I just, just you know, wait for that? What's on, what's on Paramount Plus that we would want to watch that we don't already have for free with our tax-free, you know, sci-fi channel? Well, the, the, the benefit would be that you could watch Discovery earlier than the time oh. that it airs on CTV Sci-Fi. Or Crave, right? It's not even on Crave yet, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't arrive on CTV Sci-Fi until Thursday nights, and it doesn't arrive on Crave until Friday mornings. So, as with the way that Jaime receives it, I believe it just drops at midnight. Does it not? Yeah, if I if I wanted to, I could stay up to midnight, watch it on I guess twelve oh one a.m. on Thursdays. I generally tend to watch it during lunch because that's the most convenient time, and and rarely watch it at yeah dinner time. Um, whereas you guys like have to pretty much watch it on dinner time. Well, right. I mean, we, we have to watch it in the evening. The only time of the day you can watch it is 9 PM, 9 PM Eastern time. in in, yeah. uh, in Ontario anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, yeah, midnight would be 3 AM for us too. Right. So. Yep. Yep. I'm sure people would watch it if they, if they decide to put it on then. I don't know. I don't understand what I mean. Is it selling soap boxes? Is that what, is it because they can get commercial revenue from, showing it on ctv space that that they do that that way yeah it's 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 the ad sales for sure but it's also it's the cable subscriptions right people they want people to pay for cable yeah if you make it only available on cable uh within that window obviously it's only exclusive on cable for it's on at nine o'clock it's over by 10 o'clock and it's up by three in the morning so it's like a five-hour window basically but yeah yeah 
But it's funny, you know, it's funny when you think about it. Now, with all the subscription services, you could pay more in subscriptions if you do the collect them all thing than you do for cable. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised cable is still charging $100 or whatever it is they're charging for per month. Like, they should drop it down to, like, you know, just to keep us, right? Well, you're essentially paying for sports, right? Because each of the cable services own a sports network or six. So... That's what you're paying for is, is which is ridiculous because I don't watch sports at all. I mean, I hardly ever watch it. I, I might watch like the highlight, you know, shows that are on when I'm, you know, then you may want TV. to consider whether or not you need cable anymore. I trust me, like this is not a conversation that has not happened in this house already yeah. for many, many, many years. Yeah, I, I know why you have cable. So, well, yeah, but <laughs> YouTube. Do you? We spend a lot of time on YouTube these days. Yeah. Say. Well, on Disney Plus now, right? I'm sure that's where Quinn watches a lot of stuff. But nope. No, no. I just you know, Carol. I think Carol watched her first Crave show last week. Mm. You know, she said, "How do I turn on?" Because I had to go upstairs and figure out how to log into Crave on on the TV upstairs. Right? Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Anywho, good news, everybody. More good news, everyone. Speaking of uh, old men with good news, uh, they announced this week when we're finally going to see the Obi Wan Kenobi series that is coming to Disney Plus. So we got the announcement this week. It is coming on May the twenty fifth. So yeah. that's good. We've got a an actual date that we can work around. So timing-wise, I guess, I, I haven't looked, but I guess that comes after Moon Knight, which is the next sort of um, Marvel, Disney Plus big thing. Uh, I assume Moon Knight sort of runs for that bit of March, April, and then, yeah, and then we'll get... Uh, We'll get the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, of which we've seen surprisingly little. We've only seen a little bit of a, like, they put out like a one-minute little teaser that that didn't really even show the the show. All they showed was the, um, the concept sketches and stuff like that. So I guess it's interesting. We do know that Obi-Wan's going to be there. We know that uh, Hayden Christensen's coming back to portray Darth Vader. That's Those are the two things we know. And in one of the concept drawings that they put in there that we saw the Grand Inquisitor, which is a character for anyone who's watched Star Wars Rebels will recognize. I'm curious whether Obi-Wan Kenobi will remember ever having owned droids before. <laughs> well, maybe he suffers a blow to the head in this one that makes him forget that he owned R2-T2 at one point. Although, to be fair, he never owned him. He, didn't, he never owned him. No, I know. We were talking about... I forget who I was talking to this morning about that, that he never really owned the droids. But, like, how could he, like, not remember? Yeah. Well, you know, he was R2-D2. How could you not remember R2-D2? Come on. And he forgot that, you know, Luke Skywalker's father was Darth Vader, but... Mm-hmm. Minor detail. Little things. Little things. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, where this sits. They, I don't like. It says it's set ten minutes, uh, ten minutes, ten years after Revenge of the Sith. So it'll be interesting to see which period of time that is in in Obi Wan's life. We know that he is on starts the adventure on Tatooine. He's there ostensibly keeping a watchful eye on young Luke, who at that point would be a ten year old, and. Yeah, I mean, it's funny the loopholes you can find. So there's a very famous line that I'm sure both of you will recall from the original Star Wars, 1977, where Darth Vader is standing in the Death Star and he says, I feel a presence, a presence I've not felt since, and sort of drifts off. And we're meant through this whole sort of storytelling prequels, all the different stuff to kind of you know, have the idea that the last time these two met was 
when they met on uh, when one of them was on fire and the other one was walking uh, away from the high ground. So I wonder mm-hmm. if, yeah, I wonder if we're going to do a little revisionist history here and, you know, not not really revising, although because we'd never really established it. They've never met in the interim. So maybe we'll see them actually cross paths once more. Although I'm, I'm curious, too, because, again, the Grand Inquisitor, I, I can't recall. Have either of you watched Rebels? I don't, Tim, I don't think Not you have. Yet, no, getting it. We're warming up to it. I'm just. So no, I, I will I will make a pitch for it here just by saying, uh, A, it's awesome. It's a really, really, really interesting part of Star Wars canon. It is fully canon. So everything that but happens in Don't I have to there, watch, finish watching Clone Wars first, though? You do. You do. Yeah. But... Um, Rebels is very good, and it introduces this sort of... Because uh, it's set just before the events of Rogue One. So, you know, and again, right before the events of of, um, of the original Star Wars series. And it's sort of the spark of the rebellion. It's it's really as the rebellion started to come together, and, and more and more people are joining, and it's sort of this upswell and everything else. But the Grand Inquisitor and the Inquisitors are this group of, um, they're not Sith, but they are dark force wielders, and they are basically out hunting the last of the the Jedis, the former Padawans, good force users, and stuff like that. So, I like that they're sort of intersecting those things as well, this this, um, stuff that they introduced in the Rebels canon and and are now bringing forward in the same way that we just saw Cad Bane in, in Book of Boba Fett, a very not prominent character, but certainly a notable character from the Clone Wars series yeah, and who was also in the Bad that, Batch yeah. Um, yeah. most recently in the, in the first season. You know, it's funny because I thought about Cad Bane after he appeared in that Boba Fett episode last week and... He's it's funny. I think of him as like a really important character and all that. And I looked it up and is yeah, he's only been in like 12 episodes. So, yeah. Really well, yeah. yeah. But but he certainly he certainly does stand out. I mean, some of the some of the enemies that you see in in um in Clone Wars, he's one that definitely stands out. Or maybe it's cuz I'm thinking of Bad Batch, right? Yeah, I mean, in Bad Batch, yeah. he famously has a um, you know, spoiler spoilers, but he has a pretty cool fight with Fennec Shand, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But all that to say, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they bring, as they have with Book of Boba Fett, to a lesser extent, The Mandalorian. It'll be interesting to see as they start to to not canonize, because certainly they were already part of canon, the animated series, the, the Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch are canon. But to move them to live action really does feel like a more concrete step for some of these characters, for Ahsoka, for Cad Bane, for some of these characters who, you know, we we knew from from previous shows. It, it really is kind of a it feels like a milestone. It shouldn't because their animated experiences are just as valid. And they are, as as we've said about the comic books, about the cartoon series, all of it is canon. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no less impact. But it's amazing how populist moving to live action is from the cartoons. There are people who would just say, oh, I'm never going to watch those or cartoons or there's too much of it or whatever. And same way that people would say, oh, I'll never read the comic books. Well, it's your loss. All these stories are great and they're, they're canon. They're real. Like this, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's some really cool backstory stuff on, uh, I gotta be honest with you. The comic book adventures of Boba Fett are way better than the TV show. So yeah, yeah. You know, well, and I've also read some of the novel novels that go between the, the oh the aftermath and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah aftermath cool. is the first appearance of Cop Vance, right? 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Cool. Anyway, there you go. So were there any hand models in the next story? <laughs> uh, no. This time we actually got a real look. So we we kind of uh, we kind of took took the uh, the piss out of of the promo posters that they put out for the impending Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series that's coming to Amazon Prime in September. Because they put out these posters that were basically just the the uh, gloved hands holding swords, and they put out a whole variety of them, and you know, it was like well that's cool but it doesn't really tell me anything about this so vanity fair this week published a, a pretty sprawling article uh with a little behind the scene behind the scenes look at the the production of this including interviews with the cast and the crew and and sort of back context and a whole bunch of photos that show the characters in their outfits and everything else and sort of identify who's playing what and and um it's definitely a much more robust look at what they're doing and who's doing what um and and you know some of the behind the scenes stuff it's pretty cool you know like i mean you had to assume like they're gonna spend a with a b billion dollars to make this uh you know they are not skimping it looks huge and epic and everything else whether or not it clicks and resonates and and everything else is to be determined but uh we'll put this into the show notes i do highly recommend giving it a read it's it's interesting because they do actually tell you a little bit more again if you if you want to come into it completely uh you know cold you can certainly do that but it's interesting to sort of see that you know a little bit more about the time period and the story and a little bit of the characters and just sort of the the grandeur of what they're trying to do um you know it's no uh, phallus shaped rocket but it's a pretty big uh moonshot for for bezos and, and amazon to to have acquired these rights and to try and tread on some very big ground covered by peter jackson really well so uh hobbit notwithstanding it's you know it's a big a big big project like this is arguably the biggest thing that's ever been made for television so yeah it's it's neat to sort of have a look at it and and sort of get a little taste of it as we still have to wait until uh the first week of september for this thing to finally hit our screens i just uh, i don't know it's it, it's it would be ridiculous to say it's too big to fail but boy oh boy they are putting they're pulling out all the stops on this thing yeah well i mean it's got a huge yeah. enemies, right so yeah who knows Interesting that the source material is is really like they say it's it's obviously they've they've mined the well of of the the original Lord of the Rings trilogy obviously the Hobbit they uh, unnecessarily elongated and then this is sort of based on the appendices of the the trilogies and and a lot of the sort of extra stuff in there talking about you know the backstory it would be like. Well, exactly what they're doing with the next Game of Thrones thing, right? The, the new Game of Thrones, the House of Dragons thing that's coming is essentially mining the backstory that, that George R. R. Martin, you know, created this sort of backstory about what happened in the House of Targaryen. And so here we go. We're going to we're going to mine that and, and expand that and, and sort of spread that out. Um, will will it click with audiences, you know, 50 hours worth of it over five years? Maybe. 
Will it make Amazon Prime, you know, will it raise its stature up to Disney Plus Netflix heights? I mean, I mean, we talked about it a little bit during the Spockies, but the the gold standard now is probably Disney Plus. It probably passed Netflix. Mm-hmm. I for a lot of the premiere yeah, stuff. I guess yeah, I guess the go to yeah, place. So the, for stuff. the question is now, like, what is three and is spot number two attainable? We talked about how Netflix is is and I want to say struggling. That's ridiculous, but it certainly seems to have lost a little bit of steam to Disney Plus. Is there a window for Amazon Prime to step in there with a Prime product like this? Pardon the pun, and knock Netflix back down another pedestal. Yeah, but Amazon Prime it doesn't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's the interface or something, but it, it doesn't to me. Even though it doesn't stand out as as a competitor. Like I mean, well, yeah, just, they have it, it kind of looks junky shows. considering the the amount of money that they spent on it. It, it does. It looks. It looks like a, it looks like a like a bargain bin. It looks like the like the when I when I you scroll through like you know three or four movies and then you're just going through scrolling through. You can scroll for days. And not find anything to watch, right? Because it's kind of like the two ninety nine bin, right? <laughs> that's that's the impression I have of it, right? Yep. Well, you know? speaking of people who could acquire Sony, yeah, maybe that's what they should do. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> we're we're doing a Spider Verse right here on Amazon Prime. Oh, oh man. Yeah. That's the one thing that I think is just it's it's interesting that that's still out there is that Sony is an independent studio and it's selling a lot of its license for first run on uh streaming services to to Netflix but in theory that's that's out there too but anyway uh, but I digress I will we'll focus on Lord of the Rings here but it's 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 interesting to think of what these different players could be doing over the next little while to try and maximize their audience cool all right well, I was um, sort of hinting at the fact that I'm going to talk about Kevin Smith, but uh, this is follow-up from last week's show um, where we talked about, uh, in the after show, actually, we talked about uh, the movie Clerk, which is the the movie made by Kevin Smith's friend Malcolm Ingram, who happens to be Canadian. Um, but it, it starts off with him talking to Tom Power on, on uh, CBC's Q uh, show. This was, I think, was in the podcast app today, so I think it was the show yesterday. Um, but he starts off talking about how, you know, he had the, there's a, the Georgia Strait is like, you know, sort of a popular kind of variety type magazine that's out of Vancouver and where Kevin Smith went to school for filmmaking. But, um, the, there was a review at the time that Clerks came out that, uh, when it was, you know, first, first, uh, making the circuit that there was this amazing movie by this Canadian guy, Canadian director, and, you know, he wears hockey sweaters and, and like nobody's like talking about it. It's a it's kind of a great thing. And he sort of he said it's funny that the guy thought the reviewer thought or the person who wrote the review to the Georgia Strait thought that uh, Kevin Smith was Canadian because he's so you know and and he's sort of like well New Jersey is kind of like the the, the younger brother to New York and in the same sense that Canada is kind of, kind of like the younger brother to uh, United States. It's sort of like Canada is like sees itself as the New Jersey of North America, which is hilarious, but. Um, yeah, so if you're into Kevin Smith and he's talking to Tom Power about, you know, the making of the movie and, and uh, you know, some of the decisions that were made about it and and how they, they talked about, uh, like, you know, they weren't, like, uh, Malcolm didn't want to put uh, anything about Harvey Weinstein in the movie. And then Kevin sort of said, yeah, but that is kind of like, that's the elephant in the room. We don't want to make it seem like we're whitewashed in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's it's interesting when you watch the movie, like all of a sudden it fades to black, and then they talk about 
Malcolm or about uh, Harvey Weinstein, and and that's that was sort of Kevin Smith sort of you know wanted to put like they were gonna Malcolm didn't want to put that in the movie at all, right? So because he didn't want to give him any airtime, but um, you know, so it's it's interesting. Like if you're in, if you're a Kevin Smith fan, and and you know, I think anybody who like uh, as Tom Power said. You know, it's kind of like he's built this this uh, universe um, based on the fact that his fans will watch everything he makes, right? Yep. Or anything he makes. Yep. Um, and he's a super funny guy and a great talker and, and, you know, like just talks about, you know, the, the craft of making film and, and about this story and about, you know, and and sort of origin stories a bit, a bit, a bit about how Clerk, you know, kind of went through uh, the whole thing and it was like the second movie to ever be bought at Sundance most of them get bought you know shortly after right hmm. but uh, yeah the other one was the um well, the the one about the LGBTQ women um free something or other anyway um yeah anyway so listen to this show it's a podcast here um you can listen to it on any any of your favorite tools and I'll put a link here to the Apple podcast site where you can check it out um, but yeah, it's a really cool interview. I highly, highly recommend it. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, it's that time of the show where we start talking about something Star Trek. And this time we're back to Discovery or the raison d'etre for this, uh, or the reason for being, for those of you who don't speak French, uh, the raison d'etre for this the show uh, we're talking about. I, what's it called? All In, the episode? All In, yes. Right. And who, are you doing the recap, John? I am, yes. You are? Okay. Well, off to you. Yeah, so we pick up pretty much right where we left off in the, uh, this was a, a good, you know, month ago anyways, where we had left with uh, Book and Tarka had stolen the uh, new prototype Spore Drive and were uh, taking off because they wanted to go and attack the makers of the uh, big giant space anomaly that was uh, eating things up as opposed to the diplomatic approach, which is what the Federation and the non-Federation partners had agreed upon. So, you know, we start with the sort of scramble all fighters, everybody get out there, go get these guys, we got to stop them, you know, uh, approach. Uh, the president basically, you know, uh, very politely asks uh, Admiral Vance and Burnham, did you know that this was coming? And, you know, uh, they, of course, say, no, we, we, you know, we didn't. And then she sort of says, you know, well, then why didn't you know that this was going to happen? Because you, you should have if you knew that you knew this guy that well, which I thought was a pretty good burn line from the president. Um, Burnham sort of says, you know, hey, uh, okay, you know, yep, my bad. I'm on it. I'll go look for him. And uh, Vance and the president agree, you know, no, actually, you're too close to this. You shouldn't be going after him. You will find something else for you. Everyone else is going to go look for these two and, and try and stop them. And then we cut back to uh, Book and Tarka, who are on the run, and they are uh, talking about, you know, well, you know, if this all works out the way that we anticipate it does, then, you know, the, the Federation will have no choice but to pardon us afterwards. Uh, Tarka is trying to sort of assuage Book and make him uh, feel better for betraying Burnham, betraying the Federation, all these people that have invested in him by uh, by stealing this, this spore drive and... and uh, and taking this course of action. It's at this point that that uh, Tarka sort of says, you know, hey, by the way, in order to make my plan come to fruition, we're going to need some isolinium, which is the, uh, the, you know, the 
MacGuffin, uh, MacGuffin chemical that is going to or element that is going to uh, to cause this explosion that can uh, stop this uh, the 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 um, what do they call the thing again? I keep wanting to say OMD, but that's DMA? Like DMA, DMA, yes, yes DMA. DMA, the OMG, the yeah, OMG. yeah, the yeah, BFG. Um, <laughs> so they decide, okay, we're going to do that. So uh, we have to go find this stuff, and and of course, with his past as a courier, he says, well, you know, I might have a place that we can go and and find this stuff. Book says, we go back to Vance and Burnham, and uh, Vance is sort of, you know. Steaming a little bit, you can see the the heat lines coming off his head, and uh, he sort of says, "You know, why? Why are they doing this? Like, what are we? What are we? What are we going to do? Like, why? Why is this happening?" And he basically uh, goes back on what he said when he was staying in front of the president. Says, "I would never publicly uh, disagree with the president, but now that's just the two of us. I am ordering you to go and stop these two, whatever it takes." And uh, we go to our opening credits. We come back and. We are in engineering. They're trying to talk about, well, what are they going to do to uh, to try and figure out how to uh, get a look at the Great Barrier, which is where they believe that the uh, the, the creators of the uh, the BFG are are hiding. And so Zora BFG. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a Doom joke for anyone who's played some Doom. Right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Zora weighs in and says, well, uh, you know, hey, actually, that we, you know, the, 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 um, well, what was it? What was it they called the, the device that she used to be? Uh, the sphere. The sphere? That's right. The Zora? sphere data. Because it was the sphere data. That's that right. Was, so she says, discovery. yes, the sphere actually has, has, you know, information on this. And there's a race called the Stilf. And the Stilf are, uh, you know, they have interacted with the Orions. And so, you know, if we can find some maps that are created by the Stilf, then maybe we can try and figure out exactly where these, this, uh, this, you know, hiding behind the Great Barrier, these these uh, people are that are controlling this, this uh, you know, weapon, this calamitous weapon that is, is you know, scorching planets and, and killed all of Book's uh, uh, people. So we cut to Book and Tarka. They are going to, uh, oh, sorry, from, from there they say they're going to go to Parathia to find uh, a broker who can get them the maps that they need. We cut to, uh, to, Tarka and Book, and they are going to, uh, coincidentally, the same place. They're going to Haslazaro's Karma Barge, which is an excellent sci-fi name, by the way. Haslazaro's Karma Barge. That might be one of my fantasy football team names next year. Um, and then, yes, and then we get to uh, Burnham and Owo are the ones who are going to go and find this star chart. So they are going in there looking for uh, for the star charts. Um so, Book and Tarka end up at the the the, uh, the Karma Barge. They meet Haz Lazaro. Lazaro basically says, "You know, uh, yeah, I can I can hook you up with some isolinium, but you owe me for previous debts." Uh, turns out that he had a, an unfortunate interaction with Book last time they met that cost him a lot of money. So he says, "I'll take your money, but if you know you're going to need a lot more if you want to get this isolinium." And they say, "Well, actually, we noticed that you're having a problem with cheaters in your club." 
maybe we could help you with that, and that way you can uh, we can we can reach an agreement. So he says, fine. If you can stop the people who are swindling me, then perhaps uh, I can supply you with this isolinium you need. Uh, so they go out there and they, yeah, so they, the, they see sort of this, uh, alien bug looking creature with these eyes that are sort of flashing in sequence and they think that maybe they're onto something there. Uh, Burnham shows up of course, and, and, uh, Burnham and book interact and, uh, you know, they have a conversation about it and, and, you know, book kind of kind of brings it really into perspective everyone's like caught off guard i can't believe book did this i can't believe the book did this and he says why are you why are you so surprised that i did this the you know first time we met i like hijacked a ship to try and save an endangered species like this is who i am why are you so surprised by that i thought that was a really nice way Mm -hmm. of contextualizing this because it's easy to look at you know burnham and the federation as right and book and and tarka as wrong but i think when you think about you know the way that this person has continuously acted based on his beliefs it's definitely a little Mm -hmm. more of a gray area and it definitely for me i think and and maybe for some audience members it definitely made you think a little bit more about it uh, from both sides. I thought that was a really yeah, and, nice And she play. ran with him for a number of years, too, while she waited for, for the discovery to catch up with her, right? Yeah, so she's... I'm, I'm sure, you know, and there's a whole lot of allusions to their relationship during that time in this one. You know, they, they jokingly call her, you know, was it right hook or left hook or yeah. something? Uh, yeah. You know, clearly she's made some choices during that stretch, too. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a really good way of, of putting this less on book as being the bad guy and more as book following his continuing to follow his same moral code. I thought that was really nicely played. Well done by the writers there. Um, you know, so they come out of that one and, and, you know, he sort of says, well, you know, what are you going to do? And she says, well, I'm going to have to stop you one way or the other. Uh, we go back to the discovery and we, we follow up on Stamets and Culber. So, you know, last episode when we left off a number of weeks back, Culber was really burning himself out. He was trying to be the ship's counselor and he's trying to be the doctor and he was taking on a lot and he's stress cleaning. He's cleaning their quarters and and, uh, Stamets comes in and sort of says, you know, are you okay? And uh, I loved loved the part where Culber keeps barking at the uh, automated cleaning devices. No, I told you no. Yeah. Um, Go back to your dock. Yeah, yeah, go back to your dock. Like, bad Roomba. Um... So, yeah, he was, like, stressed out of his mind. He blames himself for the decisions Book made, saying, you know, I stretched myself too thin, I didn't devote enough to him, and now he's done this. And, and Stamets sort of says, mm-hmm. you know, dude, like, you're not responsible for everybody's actions. You know, get get a grip. Uh, you know, clearly you're just stressed out of your mind. Why don't we go to the holodeck? We'll go look at the pretty fo- Look at the flowers. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's it was a nice scene. Between, like, I, I love the chemistry between those two performers, and I thought... Um, they have a, one of the most naturalistic relationships uh, on television right now. They really do. Like, they're both so good. And uh, it was just a really nice, sweet moment between between the partners. Um, we go back to the uh, the, <laughs> the karma barge. And, 
Owo is, is, has come up with a strategy for how they can try and earn the money that they need to try and buy the isoliniums so that Book and Tarka can't buy the isolinium. And it's to go into this uh, prize fight, essentially. And mm-hmm. so she goes in there and... <laughs> And it's advertised as uh, Oh Wow, <laughs> Joanne Oh Wow, Owoshikun, uh, which was hilarious. And mm-hmm. um, so she goes into this this uh, fighting pit and, uh, and you know, the rule is basically first one of the mat loses. And, and uh, so, the, you know, at two to one odds, she gets her butt kicked. At ten to one odds, she gets her butt kicked. And then uh, they eventually they get it to, to was it 45 to one? Yes. Yeah, I think it was because it was uh, like three to one, ten to one, and forty-five to so one. So at, at forty-five to one, they're like, "Here we go!" And so Awoshikun, uh, this giant hulking uh, character, Atokur, uh, you know, she just basically, you know, she goes punches him in the in the groin, she punches him in the throat, uh, you know, she plays pretty dirty, and and. Uh, you know, and ends up wasting this guy, and they win at forty-five to one, and they win this huge stack of of gold pressed latinum. Mm-hmm. And um, very funny scene as they come out the other side of that one, where you know uh, the the guy sort of says, you know, hey, you you tried to hustle, you know, you hustled us, we're taking your money, and they're like, are you though? And then uh, you know they kind of kick those guys' butts and and send them packing. Uh, Meanwhile, at pretty much the exact same time, the uh, Tarka Book Alliance are trying to find the cheaters. They figure out the cheater is actually a changeling. They see the the bug creature morph into another another, uh, humanoid, and they realize, oh, we're dealing with a changeling here. Unclear if this is the exact same changeling race as we have seen. Uh, Is this a changeling as in Odo? Is this a changeling as in... uh, um, the the weird random character from Star Trek Six, uh, unclear, but kind of looked a little Odoy. People on the internet were saying that was a capital C changeling, and they were saying uh, that uh, that they saw the Odo style makeup for a brief moment. I and saw he gets that captured. too. It was a little soft in the face, and I thought, well, maybe that's what they were trying to 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 go for. A bit of a weird one uh just because obviously that's our first reference to the changelings uh, in this time frame right so yeah why yeah. there why mm-hmm. that you know why aren't why aren't you in a giant puddle somewhere on a planet anyways so the changeling is caught and so both you know sort of simultaneously burnham and owo go with their cash and Book and uh, Tarka now having completed the mission that they were given by uh, by um, Hazlazaro, they both sort of show up and say, you know, hey, we bo- we both have a claim. We both got what you wanted. Give us the give us the uh, isolinium. Yeah. And he says, well, there's only one way to settle this. We've actually got a third bidder here. Uh, I think we're going to have to go to the traditional way of doing this, which is Leonian poker. For whoever wins this Leonian poker tournament gets the prize. And so, yeah, Burnham and Book start talking about it. They recognize that the the third bidders, that this uh, man and woman, are Emerald Chain, disgruntled former Emerald Chain folks. And they're thinking about what they could possibly want the Isolinium for. And so they realize, like, no matter what, they can't get it. So the two of them basically team up to to game the poker game so that they knock the two of them out. 
and then they become the the last two. I didn't find the poker game worked well. I, I put it in here. There's no drama in a game you don't understand. When you show me a bunch of cards that don't mean anything, it's awfully hard to get invested. Well, by the same token, I thought like, why are they why yeah. are they showing like? Because I mean, what are we not a thousand years in the future, and they're still using like spades and diamonds and hearts and i mean they didn't look like they were trying to make them look like fancier but like they're still the same paper cards we've been playing with yeah our whole lives right (laughs) yeah so i mean it it just for me it kind of took me out where they're like "Ooh, the tension is high i'm like no it's not i have no idea what's happening here (laughs) like it's just (laughs) exactly yeah yeah yeah. where's the river what's the river yeah exactly exactly uh as the game's going on owo has a conversation with tarka and she basically gets very quickly susses out you know why are you doing this figures out what tarka's motivation is uh and tarka's motivation we already knew which is that uh you know this was you know uh he thought this was the only way to see his uh, beloved friend again, right? Um, so the Chainers are ousted. Uh, they have this sort of showdown between Burnham and and Book. They both decide to go in. Uh, it's a flush. Uh, it's a straight by Burnham and a flush by Book. So flush wins. And he basically says, you know, uh, you know, she says, are you okay with, you know, burning bridges? And he says, you know, yep. And then he says, you know, no, all she right. Said, she says, she says, you know, shall we end this? And he goes, yeah, let's, let's end, end it. it. Yeah. Which is a lovely double meaning. Yeah. Yeah. But his ending ended sounded like let's end the relationship. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, and, and basically, and then, then we cut to back to, to Federation headquarters, Starfleet headquarters. And I thought, in that moment, I was like, well, you know, they so he won a card game. Like, why don't you trip him and punch him in the face and steal this? Like, that just made no sense to me. And then we cut immediately to, to Rillick, who's like, hey, why didn't you trip him and punch him in the face and take his stuff? I was like, yeah, why didn't you do that? So... Uh, it's at that point where where we get revealed that when they were inspecting the the, the goods, the isolinium, that uh, Burnham had put a tracker on it. So she's like, "Well, I didn't I didn't need to do that in that moment. I didn't have authority to do anything there, but I now we can go get them." So yeah, so they know where they can find the two of them. So clearly, that's where they're gonna go. They get interrupted by um, Saru, who's saying, uh, Mr. Stamets needs to see you all immediately. So they go down and uh, and Stamets says, well, we, you know, we got the, the maps that you got uh, from from the the the, um, the mission and we we plugged it in there. And so now we know what we're dealing with. There's this two hundred and twenty eight million kilometer black blob. Uh, near the, you know, on the other side of the Great Barrier, that is drawing massive amounts of power, and you know, this must be where they are, and so they basically deduce, well, you know, it would take an incredible amount of power to make something like that, and figure out, well, it maybe it's something like boronite, which I don't think is a real element. I I, I haven't kept up with my periodic table, but I don't recognize boronite. And through that, they actually figure out, oh, that this this weapon or what they thought was a weapon that was going in and, and atomizing planets and doing stuff was actually a dredge. It's mining for this substance, boronite, that mm-hmm. is 
that they're not necessarily doing this for nefarious intent, that it's just this device that they send out into beyond their space to go look for this element that they need so that they can keep the power on so that they can have this sustained uh, space. And so now knowing that this is basically it's 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 not a hostile intent, that it's a it's a mining vessel, essentially they realize like even more so like we got to stop book and Tarkin now because if they attack these guys and they have this technology they are gonna mess us up so that's where we sort of end is the dun 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 we have to stop them thoughts good bad did it was it a grabber do you feel like this was like a, a you know back out of the gates strong kind of performance from from disco I mean, there were some fun things in it. Like, it was kind of interesting. It was, um, you know, uh, the first part of the, the the show didn't really get, engage me at all. But once they got to the, the, what do you call it, the Karma Barge? The Karma Barge. That was kind of fun. Like, the, the Snidely Whiplash character was kind of kind of interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of just turned the tables on them a lot. Yeah, it was... Um, and there was some tension between between uh, the two of them, Booker and, and Michael, um, mm-hmm. you know. um so it was it was an inter- it was an interesting episode, but it wasn't like you know or shattering and like or surprising. I, I, to be honest with you, like I know that Stamets and and um, and um, Culber scene in the middle kind of felt a little out of place in this episode because mm-hmm. it just kind of popped in and they mm-hmm. had this little discussion. And I'm also thinking to myself too, like a doctor would realize that he can't solve his patient's problem. I mean, he, he can help his patients, but like he wouldn't take ownership the way that that this character does, which is kind of strange, right? You know, mm, it did seem uh, mildly unprofessional. Well, yeah, I mean, like from, from the point of view of like, you know, um, you, you can't own all the problems out there. Like that's just, you, you wouldn't be able to operate. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to have some, some distance between you and, you know, you, you're in a caring, compassionate person. I mean, I have a great doctor now, but I'm sure he doesn't lose sleep over my particular problems, you know? Yeah. Well, um, that's again, that's not good for you, and that's I guess the message here is like not good for for Culber either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was thinking about your your question there, but like, how do I feel? Um, I think it was a pretty solid. Uh, what is this eighth episode? Um, seventh or eighth? What did they say it was the beginning? Eighth episode. It. It feels a little weird because you're like, hey, you remember this thing? I'm like, no, I don't, dude. It's been like five, four or five weeks, however long it's been. <laughs> you got to have to help me out. The uh, the recap didn't give me everything I needed because um, do you guys remember the situation that Owo mentions in the shuttle? Like, oh, thanks for bringing me because I had that weird situation with, with who? Saru, maybe? What what was she doing? Sorry, which, which part? What was her unfortunate situation? So when, um, when Michael Burnham and... Owo are on the shuttle on their way to the casino planet. Oh yeah, it's um, yeah. Owo's like, wait, why did you bring me? You know, why did you bring me? You don't really need me to do this stuff. And oh, by the way, thank you for you know giving me this opportunity, even though I I messed up last time and I don't. Remember yeah, what she her, had uh, she had questioned. Was. She basically pushed. Uh, she had pushed Saru's call because Burnham was off on a mission and Saru was in charge, and Owo pushed on him saying like. You know, basically, I don't think you're making the right call. And he basically said, like, that's an order. He had to basically, like, put her in place at one point in a previous episode. So mm. Burnham had not interacted with Owo on screen for us since that point. So it was sort of Owo saying, like, I know I shouldn't have done that. They they had already cleared the air about why she why she did that. She lost one of her friends when she was young, and it really touched a nerve. And, yeah, so. 
It was in the episode where they were stuck. And remember the episode where yeah. they were stuck inside the pocket and the pocket was closing in around them. Oh, wanted to, to do a certain mm-hmm. thing. And, and Saru basically said, no, that's right. They were all losing their, um, yep. their oxygen, right? Yeah. See, that's a disadvantage of having the huge yeah. break in between that. They didn't cover that part in the recap, which I, I guess it wasn't important for this episode, but it did make me think, what is she yeah. talking about? What happened? I, I don't yeah. recall. No, I, I had to fish that one out myself. I was like, was that last episode? I can't remember where we left off. I'm like, oh, no, that was the episode before last. Okay, so that was like seven weeks ago. Okay. Um, one thing that I did not know, but the uh, the internet knows, is people are saying that the uh, material or uh, elements or material or whatever it was that was being mined, boronite, people said that that comes from a reference in Voyager's episode, the Omega directed, uh, directive. Oh. And the Borg were using that to synthesize Omega molecules. So that kind of gives an idea of the the seriousness of what the DMA mining machinery yep. is doing. That these, the series, uh, you know, this species leaves like a, a wood chipper running essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's, and, and this is the scale of their, of their, you know, farming equipment, so to speak, their mining equipment and, you know, who knows what their weapons are like is, is kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a killer start to the second half of the season. It was a good episode. There were certainly things to like in there. I just, I find it's those moments, the, the leaps of logic moments, like Relic's right. Like why wouldn't they just follow them out the door and kick them in the knees? Like, or, you know, like they walk into the place and they have to like they can't bring any of these. She explicitly says like, "Oh, we're not doing weapons in there." So obviously, it's not like they're going to walk in there and just phaser them and walk them out. But like, there had to have been opportunities to to deal with that differently. You know, place a quick call to the Federation, have them like you know waiting outside the ship. You know, those leaps of logic ones are the ones that bother me most on these shows. Where you're like, there had to have been a way to stop those two from leaving with the uh, isolinium, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like your uh, your answer is to be like, book, okay, well, we have to part ways here. Let me give you one last kiss. Oh, broken yeah. nerve pinch. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tarka, smart as he is, but like, what happened? It's like, neck pinch. Oh. Yeah, so. no, that's, that's perfect time. That's perfect. Like, we've already established that that happens. Like, just get it done. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, unless he has, like, you know, since this is the future, maybe they've got... You know, like a heart rate monitor. It's like, okay, if I go unconscious, automatically beam me like a hundred yards away, <laughs> and then rock a stim pack so that I wake up and and yeah. run away. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, we'll see. We'll see as the momentum starts to pick up. Clearly, I mean, we did we did move the plot along. Now we, you know, we got the whole, you know, uh, the the casino stuff notwithstanding. Now we've moved it forward to we know where this race is. We know that they're clearly extremely powerful. Although we kind of knew that already, but uh, now we kind of know a little bit more about what the stakes are at, and we know that it's not a deliberate attack per se. And I think that was something that we kind of had to reconcile with that uh, the episode that preceded this where they were having the discussion over well is it an attack and do we need to retaliate or is it a mistake and we need to correct it right so now we know Mm -hmm. that based on what they've discovered or at least hypothesized we know that the judgment that that burnham advocated for with the federation was the right one and that book is in the wrong and i think we're pretty clear on the fact that uh that uh um 
Tarka is a doorknob. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Should we move on to Book of Boba Fett, the f- grand finale of the Book of Boba Fett? Is it the grand finale? This was the last episode. It's a finale of, the of season, of season the... two. Yes, yeah, so this is the end of the season. It's the end of season two point five. Two point five. Oh, the yes. Mandalorian. Two point five. Yeah. Honestly, do not. Uh, well, well, we'll get into more at the end there. But all right. So I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, we start out in uh, Mos Espa, the bombed out remnants of Sanctuary, the nightclub, which we saw blow up last time. They do not reference. They do not even reference Scarce of Whip, the character played by Jennifer Beals. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, safe to say she's dead like i did not see a scenario how she could have survived what happened in there and clearly she didn't but i kind of thought a in retrospect what a huge waste of a woman's talents because she's a fine actress and really just didn't amount to anything at all i guess it's supposed to be what like a mild motivator where you know fed sort of says hey i i guess i let these people down like yeah dude you did uh but yeah, I thought it was, it was kind of a perfect summation of how wasted the character of Garza Flip was that they didn't even acknowledge her death. Um, that, so anyway, they decide that they are are, are going to stay put there. They've got uh, Fennec and Boba. Uh, we've got Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. They're there and, uh, you know, they're going to... Um, Yes, basically reinforce it. They're not going to go and fall back to to Boba Fett's palace. They're going to stay there and they're going to defend the city. Uh, we go to Mos Eisley. We see Cad Bane and the Pikes along with the mayor. They are there. We get uh, the the information revealed that the syndicate were the ones who killed the Tuscans and not the Nikto speed bikers. Um, hilarious in retrospect considering the like exquisite destruction of the nikto speed bikers that we saw a couple episodes back uh Mm. later in the episode we'll 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 get back we'll get forward to this as we go through it but uh cad bane basically says you know you're a murderer just like me to uh to boba fett yeah he's right he's 100 percent right he's absolutely unequivocally right Uh, yes mass murderer uh yes very much so because he just wiped out all those Guys, for nothing. Yeah, he's, he's like you're trash, just <laughs> yeah, exactly. like exactly. Yeah, come on, Forky, you're you're, you're trash. Uh, so, anyways, uh, we go to um, take a look at the uh, Pelly Moss place on in Mos Eisley, or uh, and the Mos Eisley or Mos Espa. I can't remember which city she's supposed to be in. Maybe she is in Mos Espa. I don't remember. So either. she ends up basically seeing this X-Wing come in. She's kind of freaked out, thinking like, because well, they're essentially now the space cops. She's like, oh, sorry to bother you, officer. I was, uh, wasn't doing anything here. And it turns out that it's R2 dropping off Grogu. Uh, interesting way of doing that. There was a lot of speculation in the week in between the, the last two episodes. Well, will Luke join the fight? Will Will Luke be part of this final stand against the, the syndicate? Uh <laughs> fine way to do that. Grogu has, has made his choice. Uh, he has chosen to be a, a Mandalorian and not a Jedi. And Luke is like, fine. I'm having my droid drop you off somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do we know he didn't steal the the, the X-Wing, right? And Well, because R2's flying it, right? Like, Grogu's not flying it. R2's flying it. Yeah. But 
Do we know that? Yeah, he got we... Ubered to Tatooine, I think. Yeah, no, Peli Moth says that. She says she says to one of their pit droids, like, I, you know, I can see, oh, you know, because she, she sort of says, like, oh, what are you doing in there? And she, so I can see that the Astromech's the one actually flying. Sure, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, anyways, so they, you know, they do that. Um, we get a little cute scene between Peli and, and Grogu. And then, um, yeah, we go back to Mos Espa and uh cad shows up and is um is he's sent in as the negotiator and um they send the major domo the mayor's major domo out to negotiate uh <laughs> with some very funny terms written down by Boba Fett. it's like i will give you nothing you will die on the streets this very funny uh <laughs> sort of uh you know trashing um mm-hmm. the strategy that they had to protect the city was to divide the the, the forces of good so the mob are in the Aqualish section of town. Kersantans in the area with the Trandoshans, coincidentally. And um, the Gamorians are uh, up on the ridge and they are there trying to uh, to uh, protect this other area. And uh, everybody else is in the sanctuary. Uh, all of it goes to hell when, of course, the Aqualish, uh, who are, are the walrus men for people who are, are not in the know, um, they attack the mods, have them pinned down, trying to, and they start killing them. Kersantan, uh, just this this massive number of Trandoshans come after him, um, and he kind of looks happy that they're coming. And uh, the Gamorians, the poor, those two poor Gamorians who just, man, they've just had it rough this whole series, uh, basically get thrown off like a 300 foot cliff uh, which is pretty dark um you know uh, look out below exploding bacon but um so they're like okay you know you know what are we gonna how are we gonna deal with this they're like okay so uh fennec Fett basically says, you know, uh, to the major domo, like, where are they? Where where are the leadership of this group? And so he confesses to where they are in Mos Eisley, and he says to Fennec, Boba says to Fennec, go, just go take care of these guys. So Fennec uh, takes off, and then she basically, on the way to out of town, she stops and she starts picking off the Aqualish and and saves the remaining mods so that the mods can can join the fight at the sanctuary. And uh, so it's uh, at that point, of course, the Pikes arrive at the sanctuary. They are uh, coming en masse, and um, they are. Uh, you know, armed and ready for business. So it's looking like, you know, sort of the last, the Western trope of, of, of blast stand, the major domo. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> has the, the negotiations. Um, they have a, a big fight there where, uh, Mandalorian and, um, Boba Fett with their rocket packs are fighting with the, with the uh, syndicate, with the pikes. That part was pretty cool. I got to admit, I really got like, there was a little like, you know, shiver up my spine when they were just like both flying around, you know, that was, that was not, a, not as many moments like that in this finale as I would have liked, but that moment where the two of them were like back to back fighting and stuff was, was pretty cool to see these two characters that we've come to enjoy over the years. We uh, got a nice use of the the knee rockets, the Boba Fett's knee rockets. Um, so again, things are, are looking pretty brutal. Uh, the the um, the 
destroyer droids, these giant, uh, I call them the, the Desteroid droids because they were, I think later on they call them the Scorponok droids, but they're like uh, destroyer droids from, from the prequel series on, on steroids are attacking. The, the free towners arrive, the, 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 led by the weak way are, are coming in to, 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 to the rescue, uh, you know, Cad Bane had sort of taunted early in the episode, oh, they're not coming. I, I shot and killed uh, their sheriff and they're not coming. Um, and we'll circle back to that at the end. Um, the mods, of course, show up. The mods that were saved by Fennec show up. And Chris Santon shows up and he's just like dragging bodies behind him, still fighting, covered in... Dragging his foot. Yeah, yeah dragging his leg behind him, covered in cuts and scrapes. And he's just like, what a baller mm-hmm. this guy is. He's such a great character. Um Boba Fett gets the you know idea. Okay, well it's time to bring out the big gun. So he he drops his sights down and he fires the big rocket that he keeps in his backpack. Nope, that doesn't stop the uh, the Scorponok droids. Um, so I don't know how far you guys are in Clone Wars, but there's a whole episode about how you stop destroyer droids. Right, low and slow. You got to go low and slow. You can't throw something at their shields; it'll bounce off. You have to go low and slow, right. slowly yeah. under it, and then it'll detonate the, ther- the thermal detonators. And I just kept finding myself this whole battle going, no, 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 low and slow, low and slow. <laughs> yeah, I kept trying to think about how to get through the field, force field as well, right? So yeah, like that's you know again they, they just they've established how you get through those things. They just uh, didn't. They didn't apparently didn't get that lesson. So um, at that point, Pally Moss shows up. She's got uh, Grogu. Uh, Mandalorian is both thrilled and disgusted. He's like, um, I'm really happy to see you, little guy. But oh, my, we are in so much trouble here. Um, so Boba Fett says, as you know, cover me. I've got an idea. He goes back to his palace. And of course, the inevitable payoff of here he is riding the Rancor shows up in town, and so then we get some cool, uh, you know, Rancor versus giant uh, Scorponok droid fight scene stuff going on in there. Lots of collateral damage from the Rancor too, right? Yeah, it's so funny because earlier in the episode, you know, they talk about like, well, you know, we need to protect the town. The town's really important. The town's important to the people. We want to protect the town. We don't want to destroy the town. And then the Rancor kind of trashes the town along with the. Corponok droids and like uh, mission not accomplished. So well, he, he even does the Empire State Building climb as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that comes in in a in a, a little bit. So basically the um uh the the Rancor kills the first uh, or destroys the first um, Scorponok droid. The second one, uh, they use a little bit of teamwork. They uh, you know end up destroying that one too. Um, and then the Rancor is basically you know uh, on a rampage. Yeah, does the does the King Kong climbs up the largest tower in town and is smashing it and crashing it and stuff like that. Uh, they end up basically bringing it down and. Um, they're trying to figure out how to stop it. It kind of gives Jinjar and a good whack. And in the end, it's, of course, little Grogu who uh, uses the force, you know, uh, does the... Is anybody else? Crocodile Dundee? Remember Crocodile Dundee and the, and the yeah, steer? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. And he closes his eyes. And, yeah, I used to do it with my, with my cat, actually. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, cool. So he puts the Rancor to sleep. The Rancor sleeps. And then, of course, we know that little Grogu, it takes a lot of a lot out of him when he does this. So he curls up next to the Rancor, has a little nappy. Uh, very cute. Um so then uh, we end up with, of course, the the, the showdown. I, I sort of skipped ahead to the Rancor, but the um, the showdown comes where it's Cad versus Boba Fett. 
this is where, again, the backstory matters. If you've watched all of the Cad Bane episodes, some of which involved Boba when Boba was a boy, and you know the connection between Cad Bane and Django, all of this is so much more important than what happens here. Which is, in the last episode, we saw this guy show up. So if you didn't know who Cad Bane was and you hadn't watched the Clone Wars episodes, what you'd get was, who the hell is this guy? Oh, okay, I guess he's some Western badass guy. And then in here, you get the feeling that they know each other, but you don't really understand the context of it. And then they have this showdown where... uh, you know, at this point, Cat is supposed to be about 80. And I don't know about his species, whether or not they age differently, but he's theoretically quite an old person at this point. He's still fast enough that he outdraws Boba, shoots him, beats him up, takes his helmet off, uh, you know, and of course the tables turn. Boba uses some of his technic- uh, Tusken Raider training to turn the tables, uh, flips Bane over. It's at this point where Bane sort of says, you know, you're, you know, you're trash like me. You're a, you're a murderer like me. And and then in a weird moment, Boba's like, yep, and just kills him. Um, yeah. With, with, with the with the uh, with the gaffy the stick. Tool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the gaffy stick. Yeah. Because, I mean, he does a couple of times he tries to get under Boba's skin by talking about the fact that the Pikes killed his Tuscan family, right? So. Yeah, and again, that was like so telegraphed, but yeah, it's just uh, it, if I didn't know the Clone Wars stuff and I was just watching these new live action series on Disney Plus, the death of Cad Bane would be almost nothing to me. Like it right, it, yeah. it would lack so much impact for me as a fan of the series, I was shocked that it happened and and yet it made perfect sense if you understand the relationship between the two of them that in that moment, Boba would finally kill him. So it was a weird moment. But it was also, it just seemed really strange where he was like, you know, you're trash like me. You're a murderer like me. And Boba's like, yup, and just like kills him. It just felt so... Like, isn't that the moment where the hero is supposed to take the high ground and say, well, no, I'm just going to put you in jail or no, I'm going to, you know, break your hand so that you can't shoot anymore. Or something. No, just runs them through like, oh, all right. Um, but a strange scene. Nonetheless, that one's sort of stuck with me. I've been thinking about that one a lot the last uh, 24 hours or so. Um, so, yes, well, especially because we've lost a really cool character. Right? Well, so. we did. I mean, maybe what's that? I mean, no, maybe because I mean, Fennec Shand got shot in the gut. It's true, although I, I did look online today to sort of see if there was a consensus, and the consensus seems to be no, the, the like this is meant to be his death. It's supposed to be sort of the closing of the circle. I, I don't, I, I tend to take the whole, you know, if I see an on screen death, it means more. If I see an off screen death, it means less. I, I don't. Like, he was lying there, he was run through, I think the whole point is he's supposed to be dead. Which is, I mean, as it goes, not a terrible death for such an interesting character. You're right, it's a bit of a shame, but it's also not, like, you could go back now and use Cad Bane again. You just have to use him in, like, the Obi-Wan series, or you'd need to use him more in Bad Batch, or, like, he's not gone. He's just Mm -hmm. gone 
going forward in this live action universe, which is disappointing considering like really all things being equal, he didn't get a lot of play in this series for, for, for such an interesting character. But I guess I can live with it. I, I would have loved it if he'd gotten away because that's just, he's such a great character and I would have loved to have seen him pop up again somewhere down the road. Yeah, if you did the Darth Vader spinning in the TIE fighter from the first movie kind of deal, you know? Like, yeah, or just, again, like if the Rancor picked him up and just threw him for distance and we never saw what happens from there, you'd be like, well, is he dead? Is he not dead? Like, this seems pretty definitive to me that, that they wanted you to know that he was dead because Fett runs him through and he just sort of goes, <clears throat> and then he's, you know, he's just lying there. Like, I guess you could have had yeah, a puddle thought, of green blood Santin or something. I thought was going to go lie in the... Was, was Santin was supposed to go lie in the back to tank, but he doesn't, you know? He yeah, well, he, fight, he so. clearly does at some point there, right? Because he, he ends up looking healthier by the end of the episode, but because um, oh, he gets shot okay. a lot. Now, we, yeah. we do know that the Wookiee's uh, skin is incredibly uh, durable, so they can take a few shots without dying, but um, he gets shot a lot in this episode. But anyway, so uh, at that point, of course, we get the, the final scene with the Rancor. Then we cut to Mos where we're in there with the uh, the leadership of the Pikes and the mayor and the leadership that had uh, turned on Boba Fett, the people, the uh, the Aqualish and the um, Trandoshans, and I can't recall the name of the third race who had all turned on Boba Fett. Uh, of course, their uh, Fennec shows up and uh, basically one by one picks them off and kills every last one of them, including the mayor, um, which I thought was that's fine. I'm fine with that. Um, so yeah, then we end up with, uh, with, you know, a nice little sort of, you know, ending scene where, you know, um, Boba Fett and and uh, Fennec are sort of standing there, you know, looking over their territory and realize that, you know, they are now the leaders of the, you know, not only is he the daimyo, but he's sort of become the de facto mayor of, of uh, Mos Espa and, they sort of leave the two of them with this sort of, you know, happy place territory to protect. They've agreed not to run Spice anymore. So he's kind of a crime lord, but not so much with the crime. All the other families are dead. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's sort of a wrapped up in a bow ending. So if we don't see Boba again, I guess it's okay. It's not not a great ending. Uh, and then for our first little sort of ending after the ending, we get, um, of course, the starfighter that uh, that Mando is now flying around in. We get uh, um, Grogu and his little little bubble where normally you'd have an astromech, and he's got the little ball from the control panel of uh, of the Razor Crest, and he's banging it on the glass and. And uh, Mando saying, no, 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 no. Okay, fine. One last time. And he presses the, you know, the uh, super speed button and uh, and Grogu's like, woohoo. And so off they go towards their next adventure, which I'm sure will be the next season of, of Mandalorian. We get this weird uh, Boba Fett <laughs> ending song. Uh, Boba Fett. Da, 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 Boba Fett. That was really weird. Um my son and I were looking at each other like, was that needed? Was that necessary? Uh, and then the stinger is that we see uh, Thundercat, the, the the performer, as the the uh, mod doctor, and he's in the back to chamber room where Boba had been healing himself. And we look inside the tank and we see Cobb Vanth. So Vanth is clearly not dead. He's clearly healing, but seems like he's going to be 
modified. So uh, given that he was shot in the upper arm shoulder area, uh, if I had to guess, I would suggest that perhaps we'll see Cobb Vance with a robotic arm in the future. Hmm. And, uh, and that's where we end. I found this. It's funny. We talked last week. I said, I think every episode has been better than the last. This was not better than the last nope. pacing. I found was a little off the, it was just, there were, it was, it was certainly better than some of the finales we've seen for the Disney plus seasons. Uh, I think it was better than Hawkeye. I think it was better than some of them, but they were still kind of shoehorning a lot of stuff in all at once. And yeah, just it, it. It was a long battle for sure. I, yeah, it's funny because there were different directors for different episodes. Uh, you know, Filoni, uh, Dave Filoni directed some. Favreau obviously did some. The two of them were the writers of the whole thing. Um, Robert Rodriguez did the first episode and also this episode. Um, and um, um, Bryce Dallas Howard, Bryce Dallas, yeah. of course, did one of the better episodes. Mm-hmm. I. It's so weird to say this, but I honestly felt like Rodriguez was the weakest link of this group of directors. Well, he was doing the Desperado, right? He was, but Desperado, well, Desperado wasn't even that good, frankly. El Mariachi was much, much better as a, as a I mean, But you know what I mean? It had that sort of like Mexican standoff kind of... It did, and maybe that's what they were going for, but it just, it didn't... It didn't land as well for me. There, there were certainly some good moments, and you know, all, all things being equal, it was it was reasonably satisfying. But it just it that the way that it was paced out, and just some of the sort of leaps of logic and stuff like that, kind of left me wanting a little more from all this. Like I never really felt in the moment like anybody I cared about was gonna die. I never felt like the stakes were high. There was really no tension, which for an episode that was ostensibly mostly a fight, there was no tension. I never felt like there was an element of risk. So think about some of the great sort of fight scenes in in movies over the years. I go back to one I know, Tim, you're a big fan of as well, is Serenity, right? The, The Firefly movie. Yeah. The final fight scene, the stakes are set up by the fact that we've seen two of the major characters killed, one right there in that moment. So when the bad guys are coming after them and people keep getting hit and wounded and stuff like that, you're like, damn, is this going to be like a last, you know, a last stand? Like, are, are, are we going to see everybody die? I never felt any of that tension in this episode, not from the beginning to the mm-hmm, end. I mm-hmm. never felt like there was ever a risk to anybody at all. Not even the the sort of second and third tier characters, not not Chrysanthemum, not Pelimoth, not, not even the Major Domo, frankly. Like, I just never felt like there was that tension, which is... I, it's so stupid because again, I thought the series was fine. Like it was, it was good. It was, it was not like knock your socks off good. But it was a good series. You know, it's a solid seven out of ten. Like it was good. It was enjoyable. It wasn't great. It was good. But this, this really was not the best ending. I think it could have had. Also, yeah, I found. Yeah. I kept saying to myself, and I said, I said to Xavier before the show started, I said, I, I, I'm just going to make a, a bold prediction here before we start. I still feel like the stinger for this has to be that there's a bigger bad than the Pikes, because the Pikes are a lame bad guy. The whole idea of the syndicate, yeah, that was super lame. There has to be something more. And I guess that's what they were going for with Cad Bane, was like, oh, here's somebody bigger than the Pikes. But 
and I say this as somebody who, like, I have right here on my desk, I have a Cad Bane action figure. I love Cad Bane. one of my favorite characters that come out of the animated universe. I was so thrilled to see him in live action. Again, bummed to see him die, but not because of, you know, like, more just because I like the character. I see more from him, not because I didn't think it was an apt death. But I really felt like there needed to be something bigger than just these drug runners messed over the Mandalorian's adopted family. Like, it just it never really had the gravitas. I never, like, the leader of the Pikes didn't even know his name. Like, it just, it felt like there needed to be more. I thought for sure we were going to see something like the characters from Shadows of the Empire, the, the Black Sun, or we would see uh, Kira from Solo, or something that would just hint at, well, you have peace for now, but there's still a bigger crime universe out there or the huts or, you know, something that would show more. And it just found like, as I came to the end of it, I was like, really? The Pikes were the bad guys? Like, really? I think that this series, when I look at it as a whole, suffers because it has a lot of connective tissue that it's expected to, to set. And so I don't know for certain that uh, the bigger bad that you're looking for if i were to speculate i would guess that the huts end up being that in like a future season or in some plot line in the mandalorian at some point uh, with boba being involved because they were there and then they sort of pieced out and said yeah we don't want to fight maybe because they were like we'll just let you guys fight and then come beat up the leftovers um and, and then from the connective tissue standpoint this had you know um some setting of the stage for uh, an Ahsoka series, mm-hmm. right? And gives you a little bit of like, oh, okay, cool. So she she did see Luke and she did hang out with him for a bit. So you, you got a jumping off point for her uh, solo series. And surprisingly cleared a lot of the table for the Mandalorian to start. Like, those should be really crisp mm-hmm. episodes for mm-hmm. season three, right? Because it's like, oh, um, I... Thought he was going to go get Grogu sometime in season three. I thought he was going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh, they actually got to resolve all that. <laughs> it's ready to roll for his uh, go cleanse his uh, himself and, and become a, a Mandalorian yeah. again. Right? Yeah. So I guess that begs a question, which is, is this the end of the focus on Boba Fett? That is to say, should we in any way expect a second season? Or is he now a potential supporting character for the Mandalorian, for an Ahsoka series, for wherever they choose to expand the Star Wars live action universe? Yeah, hard to say. Because, I mean, like, what does he do now? Like, does he just walk through the town bowing at people? Like, that, that, Yeah, and they the give him fruit, which he gives away. Yeah, 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 he gets this consent, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. It was it was an okay. I mean, you know, the the Mandalorian parts were much much better in this show, and and you know, I mean, Grogu even Grogu coming back and and putting the Rancor to sleep was kind of like so what. I mean, they could have you know, I guess they had to resolve the end of the they had to calm the the Rancor down, right? And they had to use the Force to do it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was okay. I mean, and and but you know, when 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 um, Boba and uh, and um, Jindarin were getting shot at, and the, and the best, you know, the, the bullets are bouncing off the best bar and all that kind of stuff. That made sense, you mm-hmm. know. But but even the dark saber couldn't cut through the 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 um, 
Oh, the shields, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shields, yeah, which I, th- I found surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the fact that the Rancor can just power his way through the shields and rip their arms off, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, rip their, whatever you call those yeah. tentacles or whatever they were, off. But it, it was kind of a funny way to sort of see how they destroy the those two um, droids. But um, was there only two of them? Because it, it's funny yeah, how, two, like, yeah. you know, there's two of them, and then, you know, he dispatches one, and then the other one's not around for a little bit, like... What? Yeah, it's you well. It's, it, they basically separate them, right? Because the one ends up uh, outside sanctuary, and the other one ends up cornering the the free towners, oh, okay. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you're right. I mean, they didn't really like you know, if they hadn't shown the last time on Boba Fett, we wouldn't have you know, if you hadn't sort of kept up with the fact that the two um, towns or two like leaders who said we'll you know the one I keep calling him the dude the dude abides right <laughs> the dude yeah I abide because he abides he abides and he's one of the ones that turns on him yep. and then another character turns on him and again but we don't even know who they are and yeah there's no stakes what, what who they represent yeah. and exactly exactly right yeah so, and the the Pike leader is kind of wishy washy and yeah you know yeah I don't know yeah. I, I think that's that's kind of where it falls down I mean the best series. The best comic books, the best stories, the best movies, the best best of storytelling writ large often relies on the quality of the adversary, not necessarily the quality of the hero. Right. Yeah, exactly. And on that front, in retrospect, as we have we now completed this journey, kind of fell flat. Cat Bane was a lovely addition, and I think that that's the part that stood out to me was, again, having seen all those episodes of Clone Wars and then into the Bad Batch... I found that, for me, the resonance of the fight, the showdown between those two characters, knowing what we see, what we saw of them when Boba was a kid still and growing up and all that, the conclusion to have them show down and then fight and then Boba kill Cad had resonance for me, but I, I feel like it wouldn't for the most part for a lot of people who were, are, uh, you know, Filthy, filthy casuals. Well, I mean, but that's the thing too. Like, I guess, I guess you sort of have to wonder, like, because, cause you're right. There is that sort of part where he's pointing the gun at, at um, Boba's head and talking and you know, trash talking his father. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, you know, I, I, again, I do, I did recognize that he was from from Clone Wars, and I did, I did recognize that, you know, I don't know if Boba was was Boba a kid in um, Clone Wars because yeah. I know he was. I mean, I know he was young, but I mean, like, like. He wasn't the rotten kid that was in the, you know, the the group where the young students are, and the one's got the real grumpy look on his face. Is that Boba? Yeah. In Clone Wars. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, he's, he's mad that his dad's been dead. And yeah, whatever, he right? hates Mace Windu. Um, I did right. see an interesting right. uh, headline, and I must admit I didn't read it yesterday, but apparently Tamura Mar- Morrison, of course, played Boba Fett. He said he would love to have a uh, a second season of Book of Boba Fett just so that they could bring back Mace Windu so that he could get revenge. Right. Because, um, again... Except for the fact that he got thrown out the window he, by... He got um, thrown out the window. He lost, a, lost an arm and he got thrown out the window. That does not mean he died. Until I see, like, a head severed... I mean, Django's dead. Django Fett is dead. <laughs> that dude had his head chopped off. Uh, you know, these these wishy-washy deaths where they're like, ah! like, I've fallen into a chasm. Like, sure, you're dead. Well, did you talk about the, the cut scene at the very end with, with the back to tank? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Coffee yeah. I mean, because I mean... Tank, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of called it last week when I was recapping the show because he wasn't dead. They were still doing first aid on him, you know. Oh, I, I never thought he was dead. I, it never occurred yeah. to me that they would kill Cobb Vanth. That seemed like a waste. 
uh, especially as you said, like this is a character like people know him from the Mandalorian, but like yeah, it's a character they introduced in the in the aftermath book series, and um, yeah, he's been he's been part of canon for a while, so it seemed like that would be a mm-hmm. bit of an ignominious death, especially because the whole point is that. Bane was supposed to basically have like shot him in haste so that he could put a lot of holes in the deputy who was also going to try and kill him. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did have a fleeting hope when I saw that scene pop up and I recognized the room. I was like, please be Cad Bane in the tank. Please be Cad Bane in the tank. And I was like, oh, really? oh. oh yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, where, where do you, where do you rate and rank and enjoy this? I, it's so funny to think about this. Like we've, you know, feel like we've been on this journey for a thousand miles. But yeah, this yeah. is only like the third season of Star Wars that we've seen in Disney Plus, and the third season of live action Star Wars we've ever seen. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's as strong as The Mandalorian, but then it really is, and it felt like an adjunct to The Mandalorian, right? Yeah, I mean, it was very, very sort of dovetailed with that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think you're right that like. Uh, seven out of ten is probably about where the the series is yeah. as a whole uh, for this season um which which isn't too bad i mean it i think folks are, are maybe somewhat bummed because of uh just the highs from the mandalorians two seasons but uh we'll, we'll see what they do if, with the connective tissue thing that i was talking about that does it set the stage for some of these other series to uh, mm-hmm. to really take off? Yeah, and there are scenes, there are, I mean, there are, I would watch certain episodes of this series again. I mean, I don't know if I'd watch, like, the first um, Boba Fett with the sand creature people or whatever. Yeah, the Tuscans, you know, yeah. Tuscans, and I'm and I kind, of, kind of disappointed that the Tuscan kid doesn't sort of, you know, have a relationship with Boba going forward, right? You know, like, 10 years in the future or something, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and then the, the Pikes telling today that they they got rid of the the fan the, the tuscan raiders whatever right yeah. so yeah i would have liked to have seen like when when he said we're going to need more we're going to need more i really thought that that would pay back with you know other tuscan, yeah, tuscan tribes, tribes or, right. or yeah, some yeah. some other yeah. connection to the tuscans would have been i think more poignant where you know he needs a, he needs to raise an army, but now he knows the Tuscan ways. He goes out and he finds more Tuscan tribes, and they are the ones who basically avenge the the previous. I think that there would have been some some poignance to that, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So get at me, Filoni. I'm ready to come work on the writing uh, team for next season. <laughs> Stuff. All right. Cool. All right. Should we move on to our watch list then? Yep. What, whatever we have of it. Yep. What do you got? Mine is not a watch list item, but it's something that uh, I noticed on Amazon. It's got a absurdly long official title, so I'm just going to read it all. Star Trek Shipyards, Star Trek Starships, 2294 to the Future, 2nd Edition, the Encyclopedia of Starfleet Ships. Okay. Uh, as it says on the tin there, this is from apparently August of 2021, and it's a nice visual encyclopedia of a bunch of ships, including up through uh, the Discovery. So it's as new as of, uh, I think it was like season three mm. or something. I saw somebody say in the comments. So interesting to see this sort of stuff. I have somewhere the like Star Trek encyclopedia from many, many, many moons ago when I think DS9 might have barely started. Mm. I think I can't remember. It's It was like TNG on the, on the primary cover with um, both the original Enterprise and the uh, movie Enterprise. Yeah, somewhere I have a book of, I think maybe it's the 25th anniversary, was a book of all the episode synopsises. Uh, didn't didn't cover all of the series as well, but I think I'm pretty sure that, like, 
a little bit of Voyager and, and Deep Space Nine were in there, but of course I have no idea where it is. It's in storage somewhere, but yeah. And there's a lot of these type of books around, right? You know, mm-hmm. like it looks like like even the bottom of this page that I'm looking at, it's got all the other you know Klingon fleet and the Borg book Borg fleet, and I'm sure you can probably get the Haynes manual of the uh, Starship Enterprise as well. Cool. What do you got, John? Yeah, I got a couple of things. So uh, something I want to watch, something I have watched, and something that we, I think, are all interested in. So uh, the Cuphead show is coming to Netflix very soon. It's coming on February 18th. For those of you who are not familiar with Cuphead, Cuphead was this uh, monstrously popular indie game that came out uh, oof, three years ago, four years ago, um, for a lot of the different platforms. It was done in the style of like 1930s cartoon animation it was uh beautiful absolutely beautiful the way that they had built this game uh my son uh my youngest son was uh very 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 interested in this game and it's another one of those ones like so many have come before the um you know, Angry Birds and uh, all these sort of things that are, are sort of trending, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is, is such a hot property. We'll get. To, we're gonna. We should make a cartoon out of this." Four years later. Um, that being said, I have seen the trailer for the Cuphead show, which you can see on, on Netflix. The trailer's up now, and it looks fantastic. It looks very much like in the, in the style and the, and the spirit of the of the game. It very much feels like yes, yeah, a sort of a throwback. It's a little dark. It's pretty funny, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally gonna check this out. This is it's it's such a weird and unique game, and I love what they did with it, and I really want to see what they do with it as a uh, as a, a cartoon series so that's one I'm uh, definitely looking forward to next week uh, one that I did watch is uh, so the French dispatch has come to Disney plus here in Canada I, I couldn't speak to whether it's arrived in the states maybe Jaime can tell me whether or not he's seen it but um, the French dispatch is the latest movie by Wes Anderson the celebrated director uh, of films like uh, uh, Rushmore Moonrise Kingdom the Grand Budapest Hotel etc etc the Grand Royal Tenenbaums of course um I had a chance to watch it last week. It is, uh, like so many of his movies, extremely unique, very much his own style. Um, an incredible cast, uh, some really, really interesting visuals. Again, he's such an, uh, such an, uh, an amazing visual artist. The way that he directs, the way that he frames things, the sets, the, the attention to detail. Wait, do you mean he makes film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He... Um, He's such a singular vision of, of what he's looking for, and uh, I, I am a big fan. I've, I've been a big fan for years. I was kind of bummed last year when this this came out in, in the fall. Um, you know, I try and make a point of seeing Wes Anderson films in the theater, even though they don't tend to get, obviously, the most spectacular. It's not like they're putting them on IMAX screens or anything, because they are essentially, uh, you know, small movies. Yeah, artistic, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I have seen uh, a number of his films in the theater, and because he has such a unique visual style it's a really incredible thing to see on a large screen just because he's very much invested in symmetry and just some very um uh, signature art styles in the way that he makes films uh this one uh, yeah unfortunately i had to to wait and uh, and see it on 
television, but uh, it still had a lot of impact. It was still a really, really interesting experience. It's, it's. I will say it's certainly not his best film, I don't think, but it definitely is um, unmistakably Wes Anderson. If you enjoy that, I would say go to it because it's quite well done. Um, and some really, really interesting performances. Uh, Benicio Del Toro has a very memorable role in this. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it is packed packed with stars uh you know of course bill murray and uh and you know some of the the regulars that you see there um edward norton and then some of the character uh some of the actors you've seen recurring in his films previously but also um you know timothy chalamet is in this uh there there's certainly uh lea seduce the the french actress who most recently was the uh the main um female character in the last couple of bond movies um yeah lots of lots of new faces mixed in with some familiar faces but uh yeah i really dug it i thought it was really cool i i like so many of his movies i think it'll benefit from a second third fourth and fifth watching because there's just so much detail like in the first one you're kind of trying to keep up with the plot and the dialogue and everything else and you're trying to soak in the visuals you almost want to watch it with the sound off the second time and just look at it because it's really neat but uh, yeah it's uh, available if you have your Disney Plus It's a, it just popped up this week I saw on Disney Plus so I would recommend uh, checking that one out yeah for the USA for those wondering I uh, found an article that since the French Dispatch has an R rating it won't be unavailable on Disney Plus oh. in the USA also complicating things is um, it's a 20th century studios film. So it's going on HBO oh. max first because of a, a pre-existing contract. And then it'll eventually head to Hulu. So the soonest you can see it is February 25th on HBO max here in the US. And it is available. Oh. Now. You can buy it on, uh, on iTunes as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the soonest you can see it as part of some streaming service as opposed yeah. to a direct yeah. purchase, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah I, I will say that it's no question why there are some pretty graphic, um, nude scenes and, uh, it is, it's, yes, I should, I should definitely clarify while it is by no means, uh, um, tawdry, like it's none of the, none of the nudity is really, um, it's not like, um, you know, for titillation or anything like that, but there is certainly some nudity, uh, in the film and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I can see why that, that, that would be, uh, that and certainly um for the disney plus audience yes there's no shortage of uh, tobacco use alcohol use uh, all the things that disney plus does not want necessarily out there that's a, again i love the fact that they've combined the best of hulu with uh the best of disney sometimes on disney plus here although we talked about the, the not enjoying the fact that we sometimes get delayed on the hulu stuff but i like that i can go onto my disney plus here in canada and and it's offering me both simultaneously it's offering me uh um very very contradictory stuff it's like would you like to see the newest pixar movie or would you like to see leia to do with her clothes on like um yes to both uh and the last thing i got in here is the uh we were talking about spider-man no way home and when we will see it still no news i check in weekly to sort of see if there's any eta for it arriving on a streaming service again i i suspect where we'll see it eventually is netflix because that seems to be where sony properties end up but amazon here in canada has got an official date release for it for the uh 4k blu-ray blu-ray dvd yada 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 which is march the 15th uh so we're about a month away from uh, a release of a physical release of this i have also checked in on itunes here in canada and um 
while you can pre-order it, I have not seen a release date associated with that yet. So, so far, nothing as far as when you'll be able to uh, to get your hands on that one as far as a um, uh, digital release. Um, and yeah, so Jaime, it's, as it stands, you're still on the on the wait list for, for this one. It's uh, your, your first window is going to open on on March the 15th. Cool. Cool. I'll just have to stay unspoiled for like another month. That's not too bad. I honestly, I cannot, I cannot even, I can't believe you haven't been spoiled. I genuinely can't believe it. Like you, you haven't seen this movie yet. The, no, I haven't seen this, this, uh, this movie. I wasn't able to get to it wow. during the holidays. Um, and so it's, it's been scary. I feel like I've been getting spoiler edges, but I don't think the, the main meat I don't think is, uh, right. Like I don't really know anything about the plot. So that's huh. good. All right. Well, we won't wreck it for you. But there's this amazing scene. But it was pretty shocking when the Dalek showed up in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, my uh, my two picks here, they're not, they're, I mean, they're basically what I've been watching is just the watch list after all. Um, I just, I tuned into the after party just, you know, because I was looking for something to watch just while I was doing some uh, some light work around the house. And, uh, you know, not like Kami, you know, doing the laundry while I watch, you know, kid shows. But um, <laughs> the after party turned out to be uh, rather entertaining um it's it, it's kind of an interesting take it's it's basically uh, a high school reunion and um um not james franco but his brother dave franco dave franco plays uh, like a justin bieber type character who's you know you know now he's he's you know become the rich famous you know intern dude um his name is eugene in high school but he goes by the, his middle name which is xavier uh as a as a famous sort of one you know like share kind of like you know Brittany kind of like everybody knows him by his name kind of thing and and so he has this after party after the high school reunion at his house and and uh and he uh somebody ends up dead and of course then you know tiff um tiffany haddish shows up as as the uh the bumbling detective kind of deal it's it's a bit like sort of like Clouseau kind of uh story here um the and and you know the, of course there's like I think there's like eight suspects and so they go through and each episode is cut like covering the story as as they're they're telling the story to the detective you know uh, they they kind of each episode has sort of a theme to it and uh, it's hilarious because there's, there's um, um, who's the two girls from the you know the two broad girls um, oh from Broad City uh, Broad City yeah the the one with the curly hair. Um, she plays like the the alcoholic drunk you know party girl like who's just like you know drowning her sorrows kind of thing yeah that's and when her glazer glazer yeah when when it's her turn to tell the story the whole like the whole theme of the thing becomes like like a slasher high school slasher film and like you know (laughs) the dark corridors and the deep you know deep bass noises and and these strange you know men chasing her and like you know like kind of thing and so from her perspective she's she's pretending to be drunk but she's not really right she's trying to get close to certain characters and then there's another guy who used to be in a a ska band with the xavier character and so his whole episode is like is like a a a music like he even does like a whole rap number in the middle and it's really really well told story like it's the same you know like each each one of them tells the story from their perspective right Or, or what happened in the evening kind of thing and um, you know, it, it's actually very, very entertaining. And, but the thing about it is, it's not like, you know, 
uh, it's not graphically violent. There's not a lot of there's not a, you know like one of the one of the measures that Jonathan and I have for movies is breaking glass because we have a family member who who doesn't you know like the sound of breaking glass. There's no breaking glass in this movie. I mean, like or very little of it. Like maybe like a, a, a candy dish might hit the floor, but like yeah, surprisingly. Um, it's more like a murder mystery kind of, you know, an evening with a, you know, like trying to figure out how, you know, who, who the killer is and somebody in this room was the, was the person who did it kind of thing. Right. So it's very, very entertaining and, and, you know, not super funny, but like, like not over the top funny, but hilarious, Mm. you know, like in that sort of sense. Right. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when, um, she has a partner cop and she's like, you know, she's, she's, um, uh, starting to say, you know, you always get like this. And he goes, don't tell me I'm being dramatic, you know, like, <laughs> which is hilarious. Like that kind of, you know, sarcasm, sarcastic sort of um, presenting presentation of, of stuff. But yeah, like, like, like when they got to the, the when they got to the, the story with the, the girl and it's sort of the slasher movie kind of perspective, it was like really funny. Uh, the other movie, uh, the other TV show I'm watching, uh, which again, I just sort of uh, was looking by looking for something to do was, was suspicion and both of these are only three episodes in like uh they come out every friday on on the the apple tv and suspicion is a british story uh with a couple of american actors in it but uh it's about this this crime that gets committed at the beginning and you can see it in the trailer um and these four british people who are like totally not they're not suspicious in any way and yet, because all four of them had a reason to go for one day only to New York City where the crime took place and then return the next day, um, you know, one's getting married. Like she's, so she's, she's in the police station with her, with her wedding dress on. Doesn't even get to the aisle, the altar. I mean, um, one is, uh, one, actually, the, the surprising one is Raj from Big Bang Theory oh. with a full beard hmm. and a British accent and unrecognizable. Hmm. I kept looking at him going, how do I know that guy from? Like, what movie is he from? And, you know, I thought maybe he's like the guy from yesterday or something like that, but it's just sort of, uh, I mean, <laughs> but like really well portrayed because he almost were unrecognizable. And uh, I don't know if you watched uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the uh, the young lady that plays the the, the brilliant of the two twins of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, she's just a, um, a college professor, you know, who happened to be in town to do a conference and she's one of the suspects. And so like these four uh, people who are, are currently accused of, of being the, the, the only suspects they have that the, the, um, MI5 or MI6 agent and the American FBI guy have to question, um, are just, they totally don't seem like the kind of people that would have committed this thing. Right. So it's kind of an interesting story. Again, no breaking glass, no gunfire, no, it's just a whodunit sort of thing. So two whodunit, whodunits, really entertaining, after party and suspicion. Definitely check them out. Cool. Yeah. So I guess that's it for another week. So I guess, uh, Jonathan, people can get in touch with you where they find you. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at JPK News. All right. And Jaime, where people can find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, and as usual, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 That concludes another episode of SpotCast, streamed to you via subspace signal. I'm friend of the show, Greg Keo, joining you from Sector 001. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at spotcast.com. 
You can get in touch with your Star Trek nerd hosts on the website or follow them on Twitter. They're at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send them a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending it to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount of gold press latinum at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help them out on the website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Wishing you peace and long life. Now one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, kind of sneaks up on you on these uh, the nine o'clock discovery starts, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, was, I think mm-hmm. I what I was looking at. Oh, I was looking at my iPad. My iPad has a on the home screen has like an analog clock. I guess the what do you call it? The those dashboard widgets or whatever. What do we call these things? These panels. But I've been watching the sort of uh, widget. widget yeah, probably like, got like an analog clock widget on the on the corner here, and I'm watching it sort of creep up to it's not actually one o'clock yet but it's like we're like a minute away but you know you can it's funny how your my brain works like you know when you look at digital time you're like oh there's time left but when i look at an analog clock my my brain really sort of uh, clues into uh what how late it really is yeah. Right? yeah yeah and jonathan and i have to turn into pumpkins so let's call it a night what do you say all right yeah, and what, so what uh, Star Wars Disney thing are we going to be reviewing next week? This is, I don't think yeah, that's, there's that's, anything. We talked right? about it the last couple of weeks. I, I I thought for sure that they would announce a thing, but it really seems mm. like they're going into uh, to a little hiatus till Moon Knight comes out. I, I'm genuinely surprised. This is the first time since last summer that they've that they've taken longer than like a week or two in between shows. But it's not like there's nothing on Disney Plus that we could watch. It's, it's true. It's know. just that from the start of One Division, which was a year ago, oh right, yeah. from like One Division to Falcon and the Winter Soldier to you know the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and and um, you know Loki and all these things that they've done over the past year, this is the first time that there will be an extended Disney Plus hiatus. It's it's odd. Yeah, but it will make for faster episodes of Spotcast for a few weeks. That's true. But you know what else is <laughs> yeah. on is on right now on on Disney Plus is the Last Duel. That that was in a that's the Ridley Scott movie. Uh, yeah, right? I saw that so. dropped uh, the same time that the French Dispatch came this week was uh, was that one. Yeah. And there was something else on there that I wanted to to uh, watch. I can't remember what the other one was, but um, yeah, it's, it seems like they just did a big uh, big sort of movie drop this week, which is nice. Where's the licorice pizza thing showing up? Where's that? One? I haven't yeah. seen it on a streaming service yet. Okay. I don't even know if it's available for. Um, Reviewing on. Let me just check. I've got uh, oh, iTunes Store. What's the next movie we're going to go see in the theater? I was going to ask you about that. So um, the next movie that's coming out is Uncharted. It's coming out in two weeks. Oh right, yeah. And I thought, and the Batman tickets went on sale too. Uh, yeah, we're I not going to go opening night though, right? We're not going opening. I night. don't think so. I think we'll continue probably doing what we've done for the past yeah. few, which is if you give it a week or two. We can find a showing that's probably highly un, uh, un unattended, unattended yeah, and yeah, I think that's... I think Wednesday. I think Wednesday is a good day. Oh, actually, we have. Do you have family day off? I do. You do. I right? do. Oh, everybody has family that's day off. That's the problem. Yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.